Hello, everybody, and welcome to All In. My name is 13 Sethinals Aegis Rim. <laughs> and my name is Eric. Oh, my <sighs> God. Eric, where did those feathers come from? And why is your head floating there, separated from your body? <sighs> you, you know, with the Mario Wonder Direct and, and the Media Indie Exchange and CF Stars coming out and 30XX and Nintendo Live and this, and just hurricane. I've just, I've been running around so much this week. I've, I've become. You've either. become a literal chicken with its head cut off. Okay. I get it. It's okay. We can fix this. We just need to organize uh. things a little. Hey, I know you have been playing a lot of 30 XX. You've been loving it. It also ties in with the media indie exchange. How about we just make that our indie showcase this week? That, that sounds perfect. And and it's a big week for Sparks of Hope, and oh, we got to do something. Yeah, actually, you know what? How's this? Since that Rayman DLC, the last one's finally out, how about we talk about what we would love to see from the next game, Mario Rabbids 3, maybe even organize it into a nice rounded list, perhaps with five entries we could possibly count down. How's that? It, it does sound like it would actually help my condition, but uh, oh, oh my God, yes, Ebony Amigo also just came out, and I had... I haven't even had time to... It's it's okay. I've actually put a ton of time into it already. I'm more than ready to, to lead us this week in a full review discussion. Samba de Amigo, Party Central. Don't worry, I got this. Oh, thank you. That, that would actually help a lot. Well, get ready, folks. This, this episode is going to be a little crazy. It's time to go all in. If you're still here, uh, welcome to another episode of All End Nintendo Podcast, the weekly Nintendo variety show. Reaching every Saturday, no shells left unturned, no point is left unearned. Um, Eric running around with a chicken like his head cut off. And, uh, you know, it's one of those crazy ideas for an intro. You just got to go with it, man. You just got to <laughs> throw caution to the wind and just say, you know what? Let's do it, man. Let's just do it. He could have said no for the for the record, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> you did give me permission to say no. And I said, you know what? No. Every now and then an idea is so crazy, you just have to let it ride. <laughs> you just gotta let it ride. Uh so you know, I you know, I I enjoy it. I enjoy it. But you know what else I enjoy, Eric? Uh, I I enjoy the uh the non-chickens that make up our patrons. They're not chickens. They're not chickens at all. They're wonderful friends and supporters at patreon.com. The non-chickens, yes. Yeah. Uh, patreon.com slash all in podcast. Uh, we appreciate y'all for throwing a few bones our way, making the dreams come true, supporting us for our hard work uh, each and every week. We want to thank our gold banana tier supporters like Rob Yapel, third strongest mole, Sean, Sean O'Baggins, Ashton, Tim A, aka Neo Prime 33, aka Nintendo Dad number four, Matt, Shy Guy, City Murray, Phelan Ward, Bill Tucker, Marcus O'Neill, Liam D, Bowza, Gamer Jason, Andrew Wilkins, and Foolish Fuji. Big thanks to our Golden Banana Bunch. Moving into our Triforce tier. And you thank Josh Vaughn, the godfather of Tingle Love Tuesday. John Datfast Cummins of the Retrologic Podcast, as well as the On Topic Retro Podcast. The Globe Trotting, Jet Setting, Nintendo Hubbing, Cluckin', Sparky. 
of the Nintendo Hub over there on YouTube, Adam Caparello of the Retro Groove podcast, gearing up for season three, as well as Octorock1982 on YouTube, Shy Guy, the other half of our Shy Guy mod squad. Thank you, Shy Guy. Daniel Hinojosa, Dan and Luma, Solo something, and the legend himself. The man, if he were a chicken, he would be like that amazingly awesome chicken that's always beating up Peter Griffin. Oh, <laughs> like the the king of the chickens. They still doing the that bit. Guy. Are they still doing that? I'm sure they are yeah, still. Probably. But if yeah, uh, Uncle Randy Uncle is what Randy. I was trying to get at, ladies. Uncle ladies Randy, and thank you, Uncle Randy. We love you, Uncle Randy. Thanks so much to everybody who supports us over there. You can head over there to Patreon.com/slash/AllInPodcast. See which tier works for you. There's a seven day free trial to the Golden Banana tier. You can see what all the fuss is about. We appreciate you for doing that. You can also check out our merch at Bit.ly/slash/AllInMerch. And in fact. You can even, if you don't have any bones to throw away, that's totally fine. You can support us for free by leaving us five-star reviews. And in fact, Eric, a lot of people have done that this week um, because we incentivize them to do so. Um. Yes. Uh, There was a fairly significant, well, there was a lot of fairly significant releases this week, but uh, one very long-awaited indie JRPG that came out this week that we were uh, thankful enough to be able to share the love a little bit and give away a copy of Sea of Stars. But we did, you know, like a Seth said, we did incentivize that a little bit. Uh, so because of that, we did get quite a few new reviews across the board yeah. this week. And while they were incentivized, they are no less appreciated. Yeah, we appreciate uh, We it. had people even jumping in, seems like, hey, you know, I went ahead and listened to the show and you guys deserve this review anyway, you know, and all that. And that it was, was cool. It was, it was yeah. really wonderful to see. And we really appreciate all the people who, even if it was just for a giveaway, we do absolutely appreciate taking the time to do that for us because it does help this show out so unbelievably much. It does. It helps out a lot. It's very free, easy to do uh, on your podcast app. If it supports, you know, rating the show, that five-star review helps us get the, the show in front of the people need to see it. So, we actually are recording this before the giveaway is, has been drawn, so we don't know who won the giveaway, but whoever did, congratulations, and we appreciate um, everybody who left those reviews. We did, I think we only got one or two new reviews on iTunes, but we got like 20 new reviews on Spotify or something Spotify, like that. Spotify, yeah. So, yeah, we get a ton of new Spotify yeah, reviews, so that was which nice. is a massive service for us. So, yeah, you know, even if you can't drop words necessarily on Spotify, that is still a huge, huge help. Although it is nice to see the words because it makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. It was nice. It was, it was just, it was nice to see uh, again. Congrats to, to whoever won that copy. My, basically my Kickstarter copy of sea of stars. <laughs> um, we, we really appreciate it. So uh, anyways, with all that being said, Eric, what has been going on in your world this week? Uh, quite a lot as the intro would imply, as you can imagine, we did have just, you know, very quickly, we did have a hurricane come through Florida this past week. Uh, I thankfully uh, did not get too much of it. Kind of took me out of action for a, a day and my internet was out for quite some time. Uh, but uh, people over in the, the panhandle and on the Gulf side of Florida got hit pretty hard so yeah. you know my thoughts are with a lot of those people my sister sent me some frankly insane pictures from tampa she took a picture from her condo in tampa where there were multiple buildings on fire in the distance it was so 
Well, a lot of bad juju happening uh, in the panhandle and on the Gulf side of Florida. So my thoughts are with a lot of the people that are currently trying to rebuild their lives. I'm very thankful that uh, I wasn't hit harder. Um, so if, if you had the ability to help uh, anybody or if you know anybody down in Florida, maybe lend them a helping hand, reach out to them this weekend. Uh, but in the world of video games, I just, man, I keep, it feels like I keep falling further behind because there are so man, we're getting such amazing games. at such a fast clip at this point. There are games I genuinely am frothing at the mouth to just to be able to try. And I haven't even had time to get to them yet. I was able to make a few hours. I was able to put a little bit of time into WrestleQuest, nice. a game uh, which I've been looking forward to for a very, very long time. Your boy is a very big fan of professional wrestling and a very big fan of JRPGs. And this game combines both of those wonderful things into one incredible package. And I say incredible I've only put a couple hours into it. I've I've barely gotten out of the tutorial. I've got to be completely honest. Like it's it's kind of boring so far. Mm, I don't know. Setup. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure that's all it is. Like once the game hits its stride, I'm sure it's really going to hit its stride. Sure. But yes, because the, a lot of the setup and a lot of the initial stuff, and you know, I do, you do kind of have to go through this game's tutorial because the battle system. Uh, the actual combat, the gameplay is so unique because of the two things that it's combining. Mm-hmm. And it is really interesting in that regard because it is combining, it is bringing elements of pro wrestling uh, very interestingly into the world of RPGs. Uh, you know, we've mentioned before uh, when talking about this on the show that you can't just knock out an opponent very often you actually have to pin them after you fatigue them. There are actual tables matches that you get into. You can get into promo battles before the match, which can give you buffs or debuffs depending on how well you perform there. You have managers outside of the ring that can actually assist you in a number of different ways. It's, it is really interesting the way they've done it. But again, yeah, I've, I've been going through several hours of setup and it has as cool as it is, it has just kind of felt like a slog for the mm. first few hours. But I am still excited to 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 jump back in, and I am I am excited for the game to finally hit its stride. Hopefully, I can put some more t- uh, more time into it this weekend and get to that part. But uh, I mean, I, I've got to find some time to put into it. But there's just so much other stuff coming out my friend there's several other games that released this week that i've been looking forward to uh one that you and i both have been chomping at the bit to uh to try out is the first game in digital eclipses gold master series that we've been hearing about for quite some time essentially the follow-up to their Atari 50 collection. The first game in this Master Series released this past week, The Making of Karateka, The Making of Karateka, however you want to pronounce it. And uh, we did a video. It's up on our YouTube channel right now. So go ahead and check that out. I got uh, the opportunity. Thank you to Digital Clips. 
for providing us a code for that game. Was really, really excited to jump in and check it out. And yeah, it's, that's it's exactly what you would expect from the game. This is a game from 35 years ago, so don't expect a lot of modern bells and whistles. But just, you know, as an interactive documentary, essentially, it's so interesting because they have gone to such great lengths to, you know, to to get all the people involved from all those decades ago and digging up old manuals and like the actual floppy disks that this stuff was on from decades ago and different uh, documents and like they have interview vignettes and it's all so cool. You can go through the entire journey of the making of this game and other games that were kind of in the periphery. There are, I think four different versions of Kiroteka on uh, within the game itself. You got the Apple II version, the Commodore 64, you got the Amiga version and uh, one other, but then there's a couple other games just to, you know, kind of round out and really flesh out the experience. You have uh, a game called Death Bounce, which is actually really cool. It's kind of a take on asteroids, but to give it a little bit more of a 2023 flair, they did do kind of a modern, uh, a little bit of a modern uh, fleshing out of death bounce and it is really really cool if you if you pick the game up do not miss on death bounce rebounded or death bounce remastered that's a really really interesting fun little game which i actually show off for a few moments within the video so you can check that out as well but really really cool that's on the nintendo switch eShop right now the making of karateka they're already teasing the next entry in the gold master series uh as somebody pointed out on Twitter, the naming or the numbering convention for Karateka is 01, pointing out that it's two digits already so that they clearly have big plans for this series. And I'm just really excited to, to check out what they have next because Digital Eclipse has proven that when it comes to these retro game collections and the way that they celebrate these old games, they're just frankly in a league of their own. Yeah, they are the the standard bearer of this. And we're supposed to, um, from what we have heard from the press release we got about uh, the making of Karateka, we're supposed to hear about the second one later this yeah. year. So that'll be cool. Yeah, I can't come soon enough. But uh, again, if you're looking for a modern style game, that's this isn't it. This is an interactive documentary of a very old game. But for old heads like me, this is so cool so unbelievably cool and very much looking forward to again the next entry but that actually wasn't the only video we've done this week i actually mm -hmm. had the uh the wonderful opportunity to check out the pre-launch version of 30xx uh from uh, uh i think it's battery staple or i think it's something like that yeah i'll verify but uh, it's, uh, yeah, battery staple games. And it's a follow-up to 20XX, which came out a number of years ago on the Nintendo Switch. I'm not going to talk about it too much here because, spoilers, it is our indie showcase this week. If that gives you any idea of how much I enjoyed it. But yeah, definitely stick around a little bit later on in the episode because we are going to be talking quite a bit about 30XX here in just a short while. Uh, in addition to that, 
Uh, It's been so nuts this week. It's been so crazy this week that I really needed to find something to... I needed a comfort food game for a little while this week, Seth. I'm not going to lie. And I found it with those classic Marvel pinball tables that pinball that's in studios just released for pinball FX on the Nintendo switch. I'm not going to lie. They released 11 of them last week. And I have been, I really have spent more time than I probably should have (laughs) because in addition to just playing them, in addition to just trying to get the high score, one of the interesting things they've done with pinball FX is give you this little room that you can deck out with various collectibles that you can get by playing the different pinball tables. Once you reach a certain lifetime score on a pinball table, there are five levels, five different collectibles that you can get throughout lifetime scores. And then there's a specific achievement tied to each of the pinball tables that unlocks a further collectible. And there's like posters and statues and like action figure sized uh, collectibles and uh, even carpets and you know, a few other things. And I've just been unlocking like all the Marvel figures and the statues and everything. And I've got a big like life-size Moon Knight statue in my pinball room now, a big life-size Spider-Man statue and a whole bunch of little like action figure statues dotted around my room. I got a big Captain America shield rug <laughs> on the bottom. So that's that's been a little bit more of my week than I care to admit, ladies and gentlemen. But again, I felt like I kind of needed it at several points throughout this week. And like a lot of these are tables that I've played years and years ago back on the 360. So there was also that huge nostalgia factor for me as well. Sure. For a lot of these, I was, I used to be very familiar with some of these tables. So it was kind of like learning to ride a bike again. Uh, but it, it, it made me really happy and it, it brought quite a bit of, uh, it, it, it made Eric happy. And I will say, a uh, little bit of a humble brag that I may or may not actually own the top score in the world on a couple of those tables right now on the switch for now. Got to screen cap them while for you can. now for <laughs> now. I, f- I fully intend for a couple of those to be gone maybe by the end of this weekend, but y'all, y'all are going to have to pry that fantastic four score from my cold dead hands. <laughs> ain't, ain't nobody taking that from me. That was a miracle game. Oh my lord! But uh, yeah, I've had I've had a ton of fun this week, despite despite everything going on, and despite trying to keep up with everything else as it was coming out. It's been absolutely insane, but really nothing new in our world, my friend. So, what have you been up to? Yeah, a lot. Um, I'm going to save some of it because we we have had to sort of divide and conquer this week. So Eric is has been taking charge on 30XX as we got that. And I've been taking charge on Samba de Amigo, which I've put uh, a lot of time into this week. That's kind of been my, my main game uh, this week. And we're going to talk about that later in the show as well, because I'm going to review it and, uh, and we'll talk quite a lot about that. So I won't, I won't talk about that too, too much. Um, Really, I, I do want to play Making of Karateka. I do want to put more time into 30XX. I've played a little bit of it. We'll talk about that here in a second. But the only other game that I've really put any significant time into this week is Sea of Stars. Um, which God, I, 
Yeah. I want to play it so bad. I'm so behind on these JRPGs. I haven't even gotten to Chained Echoes yet from oh, the last year. Man. Oh yeah, neither have I. It's on the list. I um, yeah. Yeah, so we big thanks to Sabotage who gave us code for it. That um, is what allowed us to do the giveaway. So really cool. Big thanks to them. Uh, got to check it out. Played it on stream for about three hours. Um, and yeah, like I, I've played it a little since. I'm probably like six hours into the game. Um, I'm not super duper far. I've heard the game is around like 30 hours long. So it's it's manageable. I'm looking to play more this weekend once things are a little less crazy. But uh, like, yeah, I mean, like you had a hurricane. We had like wildfires and crazy stuff happening last week. I mean, it's been nuts. Um, but I have managed to put a little bit of time into that. I really, really like it. I'm having a lot of fun with it. The, you know, the pixel art, the music is incredible. Like the presentation of the game is really the highlight for me. Like the, the, the way everything is like presented is truly stellar. You can really see, you know, I kickstarted this game like over three years ago. Um, and like, you can tell where the time is gone because, like everything is just so painstakingly uh, detailed. It's, it's really gorgeous. And um, the, again, the music is, is really excellent. The characters are pretty good. There, there are a couple like really like standout characters. The two main characters, um, while I like their designs a lot, I don't know that I'm in love with them in terms of their characterization just yet. Um, mm-hmm. I think that the story setup is actually a little, I don't know, generic. It's, it's, I'm, I'm waiting for the story to really kind of pick up. I'm waiting for the moment when the story really kind of gets its hooks into me, because I do think that the game for me had a very slow start. The first like hour, hour and a half, I think is actually quite slow. And like the world is not, or the, the story setup rather is not interesting enough to justify how slow the start of the game is for me. Um, there's also, and I don't want (laughs) to belabor this point too much because I'm already sick of talking about it. Um, (laughs) but just like the messenger before it, uh, there are significant grammatical errors in the, in the copy, in the text. And that's been kind of distracting for me. I think for a lot of people, you're not even going to notice it, but if you were somebody like me who either is reading you know, the words out loud on stream. And some of it is actually so distracting that it was making me fumble my words on stream as I was reading the dialogue. Um, if you're the kind of person that doesn't notice that, which I, again, I think is probably the, the majority of people, you're going to have no problems at all. Um, but there are some people like myself that are kind of sticklers for that kind of thing. And it can be distracting, not game breaking. I'm not saying the game's terrible before anybody puts on their white knight armor and starts coming after me and saying, I'm like dunking all over the game. Like I was lighting my torch right now. <laughs> I was just looking I, for my pitch for, I have gotten know. into way, way, way too many conversations of people who think that I'm just like raising the green earth because I'm mentioning that I found that the, like it's a minor complaint. It's not game breaking. I still really like the game. I'm just saying that it's not perfect. I do have yeah. issues, you know, and, and, and yeah, you and I have played games where that was an issue. We've played yeah. games that were, We've played visual novels where that was an issue. And especially in those games, it can be a huge detriment because that's, that is the gameplay essentially. But in something like this, 
that's just kind of a it's a polish issue. It's not a game breaking. And it's subjective. You know, They're complaint. like most people are not going to care. And even I like again, I'm a stickler for this sort of thing. But even I barely care. Like it's not like it's not completely ruining my experience. He's I, only sent in 17 pointed emails yeah. to the developers. And, <laughs> and it's the kind of thing, too, where like, you know, I, I understand this is a small team, you know, and, and I get it. And they are not English is not their first language. I, I understand yeah. all of that. It's and like, but the the sort of dialogue that has happened, it really has kind of revealed like what has always kind of been true about video game discourse, which is if you say anything negative about the game that the vocal majority loves, anything at all, then clearly you hate it and clearly you're attacking it. And everybody has, I mean, like some of the conversations I've gotten into this week have turned me saying, Hey, I find this kind of distracting into, do you think that Americans are just so like stuck up that they think that everybody needs to conform to their language, crazy stuff. And I'm like, no, I'm just saying that the grammar is kind of distracting. (laughs) That's all I mean. It's not a game break. It's not a big issue. It's just a little annoyance. Um, other, that's like my one and only complaint with the game so far. I find the, the, the first hour or so was kind of slow and the grammar is a little distracting. Other than that, I'm having a great time. I think it's wonderful. I love, it's actually, clearly he hates the game. Ladies and gentlemen, I apologize <laughs> yeah. for the controversial nature of this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you just can't have a nuanced conversation about video games anymore. You know, uh, it's just, it can be frustrating. It, it does frustrate me sometimes, but, um, but you know, like it, it's, it's interesting because the game is, and I'm sure we'll talk much more about the game in the coming, you know, weeks and whatever. And once we've both had a chance oh, to I'm really sure. play it, I'm sure we'll, I'm sure we'll have a nice long, you know, dissection of the game. But, um, it is funny because the, the game is sort of couched as this very like Chrono Trigger inspired thing. And you can see that and the involvement of Mitsuda is evident of that and all the rest. Um, but it actually reminds me a lot more of something like the Mario and Luigi series. Yeah. Um, in terms of the combat, it's very like timing based kind of yep. combat. Um, and the overworld exploration actually reminds me a lot of Golden Sun. Um where I can see that you're get not only is it very like the navigation is quite like vertical and stuff like that, which is cool. Um, a lot of the overworld navigation involves you like sort of dropping ladders and finding ways to reach new platforms and stuff. It feels very golden sun, but even to the point where um, when you're doing dungeons, a lot of the things that you unlock are like kind of um, ways to further your overworld exploration. For example, the first one you get is this like bracelet that shoots out a burst of wind that allows you to move blocks around. It's very much the first, like yes, synergy, the the first cyanergy hand move thing that you get in golden sun, very much that. So like even more than chrono trigger, this to me is a send up of like, yeah, Mario and Luigi and, and golden sun, which is great. I mean, I love all of these games that this game is taking cues from. So really good. I like it a lot. We'll have more to say on it in the future. I'm sure. But I, but I don't think the game is literally perfect. (laughs) So we'll see. It always blew my mind when you had games like Chrono Trigger, when you had games like Mario RPG and the Mario and Luigi series games that had much more active attacks. Like you wouldn't just choose the attacks from a menu. You were active in the execution of those attacks. It always, made the game so much more immersive and I wish they all have that. so much more exactly yeah. like it blows my mind that 
we didn't see this entire sweeping change throughout the industry of like, oh, this should be the new norm now. It blows my mind that it didn't be. So I love seeing games like Sea of Stars that come out and they do have these very active attacks that, you know, force you to engage with the game outside of just choosing things from menus. So thank yeah. you. Yeah, no, I, I I really, really like it a lot. Um, you know, I think, I think it is like, you know, and I'm excited to see where things go because I do, the, the deeper I get, the more I am enjoying like the world of it. You start to get to different towns and you start to meet, like there's one of the first towns you get to has this race of like mole people, which is cool. And, you know, so I like the layers are starting to peel back a little bit and it's got some fun, like there's a little like cooking element to it. There's a fun fishing mini game in there, you know, so there's a lot there. I'm, I'm excited to dig deeper in. I'm excited to have more conversations about the game here on the show. But yeah, that and Samba de Amigo are pretty much it for uh, for me in terms of video games this week, my friend. But uh, without any further ado, I do think we need to shift gears a little bit and talk about some 30XX, man. <laughs> yes, we do. Uh, there's a couple reasons that we wanted to highlight this game. A, it's fantastic. And we always want to highlight good games in our indie showcase. Uh, B, because it just came out. Because as you're listening to this, the game has been out for less than 24 hours. Well, as this episode is going live, I don't know right. when you're listening to it. Uh, but as this episode is going live, the game has been live itself for less than 24 hours. But also because... You know, when it comes to indie games from this past week, we've already talked a little bit about the Media Indie Exchange on our YouTube news breakdown from last night. Go ahead and check out youtube.com slash all in podcast for that news breakdown. Uh, but this fall showcase that they had was the first one they've had since the spring. They had fully planned on a summer showcase. However, you may very famously remember a story about Gerard the Completionist having to basically save a video game show because the venue where all this stuff was being held was, you know, closing down and all this weird stuff. Unfortunately, the media and the exchange people, their summer showcase was being held at the same venue, but because of timing, they weren't so lucky. So they had they had planned this entire big showcase blowout which they had to cancel at the last minute over the summer. And it, it stunk because that meant a lot of lost visibility for a lot of really cool indie games. And one of the showcase pieces that they had planned on having at this summer showcase was going to be 30XX. That was going to be one of their main centerpiece focus games for the summer showcase. And unfortunately, that didn't happen. And it lost 30XX a ton of exposure. So uh, here we have the fall media indie showcase and, you know, we're celebrating that and 30 XX just came out. So we thought it'd be a perfect opportunity to get a little bit of that exposure that 30 XX lost out on this summer. Our indie showcase this week is 30 XX from battery staple games. All right, so 30XX, uh, which just came out, had a bit of a tumultuous, you know, it's been out in early access on Steam for a couple years now, obviously a sequel to 20XX, um, mm -hmm. and this is kind of a, a Mega Man X-inspired roguelike 
combat platformer. I even had a little bit of a delay on Switch. Like it came out, it was supposed to come out August 9th. They ended up uh, indefinitely delaying it. And then they were like, hey, we're having some issues. You got to delay the Switch version. But didn't delay it for too long because less than a month later, September 1st, yesterday, finally got released. Now, you have been taking charge on this one. You've been the one that spent the most time with it. But like I said, we're having a divide and conquer this week. Um, and uh, and you're here to, to tell us about uh, about your time with 30XX. Yeah, so I, I did never really get the chance to play 20XX. It was a game that I Neither always I. had on my periphery, but I definitely wanted to to try this one out. I mean, if you just look at some of the screenshots from 30XX, you immediately see the the huge leap uh, just in terms of the visuals. Yes. Like if you look at a couple screenshots of 20XX, you look at a couple screenshots of 30XX, it's uh, it's a near generational difference in terms of the visual upgrade. And uh, like that'll hit you pretty immediately. I really adore the the pixel art and the aesthetic here in 30XX. It's incredibly reminiscent of these games that the game is clearly taking inspiration from. I mean, for heaven's sakes, it's called 30XX. It wears its Mega Man inspirations very far down its sleeve. You probably can't go more than a couple screens without seeing an overt reference to the Blue Bomber in some way, shape, or form. But just the crispness of the pixel art that's on display here throughout the entire game. Uh, I really like the the character designs. Uh, they, they don't take up as much screen space as older Mega Man games do. Right. Uh, that's for a couple reasons that we'll get into. But overall, I still I still dig the character designs. I still really like the the stages themselves. A special shout out to the background artist. The backgrounds in this game are godlike. They are stunning. I would very happily have, like if I had like a rotating background wallpaper on my computer or my phone, that was just the backgrounds of the stages from this game, that would be stunning. They're absolutely, like even the, the hub area background, you see this beautifully colored in, uh, you know, kind of shot of the earth in, in in the deep background and these asteroids that are all over the place. It's just absolutely stunning. Just from a visual aspect, uh, this game is a massive step up from, from 20XX, and it's just a delight to look at constantly. Uh, so I, I definitely wanted to stop and make sure to give the game its flowers in that regard specifically. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful to look at. And, and it is, uh, I mean... A real big upgrade. Like, 20XX is, like, you know... Like, they... The, the art style's way more... I don't know, clean, chunky... It's, you know, you, you look at it in comparison... Not as polished, essentially. It, it looks like... Very clearly a first endeavor it, for it is a studio. Day. Yeah, and apparently the uh, the sprite work was actually, I guess, done by the Rogue Legacy artist. Which is, uh, which is pretty I cool. I can see that. Yeah, so... I can see that. But yeah, I really dig it. And it's very evocative, of course, not just the the 16-bit era, but, you know, me being the huge Mega Man ZX, you know, nut, the psychopath that I am for those games. Uh, there's a lot of character designs. There's a lot of stuff in here that really reminds me of those games. Again, just because of how crisp the, the pixel art is. And, and even some of the designs, I feel like specifically harken to 
to that age. Uh, but maybe I'm just looking into stuff. But regardless, it gave me Mega Man ZX vibes, and that's a check off for uh, yeah, that's that's a big box of mine checked right there. Yeah. No, it's even like, yeah, because you do have your two characters. You have your, you know, you have your, I guess, kind of main character. Is it Nina? Um, yes. And then you have Ace. Yeah, Nina is, Nina is functionally the Mega Man X proxy. Yeah. And then Nina is functionally the Zero proxy. Ace is. Yeah, and, Ace is the or, Zero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ace is the Zero proxy. Nina is the, the Mega Man X mm-hmm. proxy. Uh, thank you. But... Uh, and you can play as either and you can switch between them in between runs. You can't switch in between them during a run, but you can switch between them whenever you want to uh, in between, uh, you know, in between runs or in between doing things outside of uh, the main gameplay loop. So if you want to play as Nina for a while, cool. And then if you want a little bit more variety, a little bit more spice, then you can switch over to Ace and if you've played those old Mega Man X games, you will feel right at home with either of those characters. If you were a Zero main back in the 90s, you'll be able to pick up Ace immediately. If you've always been more partial to the Mega Man long-range buster shots, then, I mean, Nina is going to feel like home for you. Uh, uh, it's it's impossible, frankly, to, to not compare this game to Mega Man considering uh, like they're just so like so much of this game is just so deeply rooted in there. If, if Capcom had ever done a Mega Man style roguelike, it would be this game, frankly. Yeah. Well, and I mean like that. Yeah. I mean like when you, the moment to moment gameplay is sort of what, what you've just described that Mega Man X ZX sort of thing where it's like if you're playing as Nina, yeah, you're you're running around, you're jumping on the walls, you got your effectively your Mega Buster. I, there are a couple of little interesting uh, modernizations that I appreciate, like the fact that you don't have to actually hold your charge uh, to charge yes. up your weapon is kind of interesting. Yeah, uh, that is one of the the many things. But yes, in classic Mega Man games, you would actually have to hold down the shot button to charge whatever attacks you were trying to charge. But in this game, it is automatic. You still have to press the button to fire the charge shot, but you're not constantly having to hold down the charge button, which it took me... It took me just a couple seconds to adjust to that, but once I did, I was like, oh, this is so much better. Yeah, you do have to, like, if you're somebody who's familiar with that, it, it it's an adjustment because your muscle memory is, like, having you hold the button still. But, yeah, once you get used to it, it's like, that's just one of those little quality of life things that just makes sense. But, I mean, at the end of the day, this game is a roguelike. And at the end of the day, it's also a, you know kind of make a man spiritual successor. So what does that mean, frankly? Well, if you've ever played a Mega Man game, you have eight core stages at the end of which is a boss battle. So how do you turn that into a roguelike style game? Well, it turns out to be pretty easy. As a matter of fact, you start off with one of the stages and then you just keep playing through the stages until you get to the end. But they've done a few really, really interesting things here. You know, a couple that you see across the vast majority of roguelikes, but a couple other that uh, that are, you know, kind of interesting and kind of this game specific that really do help 
break things up really do help uh, keep things fresh for for most of your playtime. Uh, one of the big things that you are going to have in this game, just like you're going to have in most roguelikes, you are going to have permanent upgrades. So you do, as you progress throughout these uh, levels, you will get currency uh, in the form of memoriam, they call it, memorial or memoriam, they call it. And you can use that in between runs to purchase uh, permanent upgrades, which is uh, better starting health, better starting energy, uh, the ability to choose between forthcoming stages, the ability to, you know, just there's about a dozen different permanent upgrades that you can get, which are going to help you in your, you know, quest to, to finish the game. But in addition to those permanent upgrades, you of course have the in-game augments and cores and everything. And this is where a lot of the variety is going to come into play. It turns out there are a ton of different gameplay shifting, gameplay changing, uh, different buffs and debuffs and weapons and augments and cores that you can pick up in this game. It is insane the amount of gameplay variety, the amount of different weapons that you get uh, that you get access to in this. And I'll just kind of you know break them down very quickly, but uh, you've got your main character's weapon. Uh, which, you know, with Nina, of course, is the inbuster, as they call it in the game. And then you've got your kind of Z-Saber-esque style sword with Ace. Very quickly, you get access to a character within the game who will give you essentially a main weapon, you know, kind of augment at the beginning of your runs, which can start to greatly vary how those runs are played. When it comes to Nina... Uh, and her buster, you can get uh, an augment at the beginning, which uh, could maybe turn it from a charge shot into a thing where you actually have to hold the button down and you fire essentially a constant stream of shots. You can get an augment where your buster will bounce off walls and that will completely change up how things go. You may get an augment that allows your buster to do any number of things that actually make the individual run feel very different. You may get one where Every shot you do actually sends out a, you know, three shots, one forward and then two vertical. And that, you know, yeah, that one's nuts. Uh, but then with uh, Ace, your melee character, there's a ton of different melee weapons that she gets access to or shorter range weapons that she gets access to. The, the, the sword ability that you get is just the beginning. She has this big energy hammer that you can get. She has this Castlevania-style energy whip that you can get, which you can uh, actually shift up or down. She's got this short-range, powerful kunai that you can get. She's actually got a decent selection of weapons that you can wind up randomly getting at the beginning of your runs, and you can continue to collect more weapons throughout the course of a run but it's not just something to where you're using just your regular old buster the entire time, or you're using your regular old Z saber the entire time with just the charge shots to add variety. Even the main weapons can go through some massive changes with your character, which by themselves can make the runs feel incredibly different. Just having that, uh, that 
that constant stream shot that I was talking about with Nina feels completely different from her normal buster. Having those vertical shots, like there's a lot of, of times in the game where you'll find yourself in a more vertical style combat situation where like just having that one ability, that one weapon can make things go from insanely hard to a walk in the park and being able to use the different weapons and abilities you have at your disposal, like in most games is going to be the difference between victory and defeat. But again, just the amount of difference and variety they get out of just what they do with the main weapons in this game. I I absolutely adore every run so far that I've done in the game of which there's already been a lot. I've put a lot of time into this game just in the past few days. uh, And every run has felt significantly different just from what they've done with the main weapon. But that's just kind of the start of it. Uh, Very famously, I mean, what happens in Mega Man games? You beat a stage, you beat the boss. And you get a new weapon based on that boss, based on the stage. That's here too. After every stage, you get a brand new special weapon. And uh, again, if you've played the X series, this should be very familiar to you. Because if you play as Nina, the long range character, you'll get an interesting style, long range power. Whereas if you play, if you're playing as Ace, you'll get this kind of, you know, special ability that requires a specific input to uh, to use. And all of those feel incredibly different. The abilities that you get, depending on the character you're playing, will be completely different. The ability that you get for, for beating a specific stage, uh, the Nina and the Ace abilities are vastly different from each other. Uh, and then you just, you continue to get more of those with every stage you beat. You just continue to get more sub powers. I will say you do have uh, an energy bar. You do have a special energy bar, uh, but there are plenty of ways to, to refill that energy, but it's not just something to where, uh, you know, you can, uh, most of the time, it's not just something to where you can just use it infinitely. Uh, very interestingly, uh, Ace always has a sub weapon. So for like when Ace has uh, the hammer equipped, you all you always have this sub weapon equipped where she has this arcing uh, hammer, basically like the Castlevania axe that goes in an upward arc. She has that, and so Ace always has access to some type of interesting sub weapon, but then continues to get new maneuvers with each stage that. Uh, that ace beats. Uh, so you've got all of those with, you know, a lot of those you can actually upgrade when you beat stages. Sometimes you'll have the option instead of getting a new ability to upgrade one of the abilities that you already have. And if you want to do that, if you want to go that route, you can do that. You also sometimes have the ability to say, Hey, if neither of those are something you feel like you'll use, you can get more currency so that you can buy more stuff in the next stage. And like, honestly, even with everything I've said, I really feel like I'm just scratching the surface of the depth of what goes on in this game. Because even when you take the the weapons out of the equation, there are a massive amount of augments and again, what they call cores in this game that 
in like that insanely mix up the gameplay variety in this title. Yeah. There's a lot going on. It's it's a very it's a deep game and it's also, you know, the 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 reason that this is like a cuz I think a lot of people might might listen to this and think, well, why couldn't this have been just a standard you know, like not a roguelike design, like the kind of thing where it, it could have been like a standard just 2D action platform or whatever. But the way they've woven in that upgrade path, the way they've created that feedback loop of go on a run, you know, make a run at a boss or whatever, unlock something, upgrade, come back to the base, you know, spend some of that, was it memoriam or memorial yeah. um, currency to like to give yourself some upgrades to do better in the next run. It has that classic roguelike hook to it uh, at the heart, which, you know, that like that's a tried and true thing. It, it, it's addicting and it works, but it still has a lot of that stuff that you come to expect from a game like this. Like it doesn't, in other words, it doesn't sacrifice, you know, the it doesn't sacrifice the feeling of like a considered and designed, you know, 2d action platformer. Um, but it does incorporate the hook. The things that are good about roguelikes are present in here too. And it's really interesting because I was wondering how a game like this would work with somewhat procedurally generated content. Um, because a lot of the challenge in classic run and gun games isn't just the enemies that they place in front of you. These old games are not just a straight line with you mowing down enemies the entire time. These are platforming challenges and uh, just different environmental things and hazards and obstacles that you have to deal with. So I was kind of wondering how a procedurally generated level would work like that. And it's not perfect, I will say. It's not perfect, but there is a really good approximation of of winding up most of the time with something that genuinely feels like it was 100% human designed. What they've done effectively is taken kind of like the, <laughs> I know this might seem like a weird comparison, like the Excite Bike in Mario Kart mm-hmm. approach to it. Mm-hmm to where you have a bunch of individual elements, designed elements, but the way they are placed around the stage will differ a lot of the time, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So you have all of these individually designed elements, but they just kind of keep shifting the placement and the order and uh, just, you know, the entire level around every time. And that's another big thing that, that helps keep the game and the levels fresh when you're running through uh, the stage, you will very often run into places that feel familiar. And there are several things over the course of the stage that are just kind of there every time. But the fact that things are going to be different each time is still something that I would prefer, especially with more modern sensibilities is something that I would prefer over uh, over a 100%, I think, fully curated human level that's never going to change. As much of an all-time classic as Mega Man X is, like, there's zero, like, there, there's not a doubt in my mind I'm going to turn it on and that I can beat it without thinking about it too much because I know exactly what the levels are. I know exactly how to fight all the bosses. Like, I, I know the game. But with this, every time I boot it up, every time I play through, 
Like these stages all feel like those classic run and gun style levels, but they change it up every time. There's still going to be familiar elements to it, but there is going to be differences that are going to help keep things fresh time after time. And even beyond that, even beyond just the layout of the elements, one of the things I absolutely have to praise this game for is how unique each of the different levels feels. These are incredibly saturated with personality and individualism. This isn't just a bunch of random uh, placements of platforms. Each of the eight stages that you have to go through in this game Each of them feel completely unique from each other, and they all have multiple and often very interesting level gimmicks going on. Sure, you have a lot of your tried and true, like your your treadmill-style moving platforms. You have your disappearing, reappearing platforms. You have a lot of platforming tropes that are going on. Uh, But there are some genuinely interesting ones. There's like this sand that you can swim through. Mm -hmm. Uh, one of the stages completely messes with gravity in really cool ways. There's this one like swamp stage that you have these big, you know, kind of cones and, uh, cubes of water that you can traverse through, but you can actually affect their placement. You can actually move the cubes of water. And that alone will open up different things and, uh, will change up your traversal through the stage. Because different things in that stage are affected by whether or not they're being touched by water or not. There's a super Castlevania. There's actually a couple real Castlevania feeling stages in here with all kinds of pendulum style platforms and and stuff like that. But each of these stages has like four or five unique gimmicks going on within them in addition to incredibly distinct visual identities. I absolutely adore the levels that are on display here. And the gimmicks, like I said, are all like, for the most part, really interesting that make even traversing the levels uh, just feel really good. And even beyond that, even beyond the fact that you're constantly changing up the the order of elements and, and obstacles and all of these super interesting level gimmicks, very often there's still an element of exploration. There's so many different things that you can get access to. If you, you know, make sure to explore a little bit when you're playing these stages, because you will very often find treasure chests uh, that contain new augments or new cores that will power up your character. And there's very often little split paths that you can take. Maybe not necessarily to the degree of something like a Sonic game, but there are very often a couple different ways to get over something. Now, I say it's not perfect, uh, or I said it wasn't perfect a few minutes ago when it uh, when it came to the procedural generation, because the order of things, the order of the way that they appear in the stage, can sometimes straight up negate a platforming challenge that a level is going for. Mm-hmm. If it happens to just place a wall at the far right that you can just wall jump off of, So if you're supposed to go through this platforming challenge, but because of the way the level was curated on that particular run, sometimes the procedural generation does get in the way of the level trying to challenge you in some ways, and that's just going to happen. But 
I mean, if you've got to go through eight stages on a single run, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to scoff at a little cheese every once in a while. But, uh, but yeah, that will happen sometimes is the level will procedurally generate in ways that negate some of the intended challenge. So that does happen. It happens. Yeah. Yeah. But overall, I, I really like this game. You guys, like I'm, I'm very close to saying I love it because it absolutely puts me back and it puts me back in the mindset of a franchise that I've always adored and two specific series within that franchise that I hold in near reverence. The game feels really good to play. There is a ridiculous amount of weapon variation and augments and different things that you can do. You get, uh, you know, every time you beat a sub boss or a main boss, you get more of the currency to give yourself permanent upgrades. Like there's a lot of really good stuff going on here. And I just really enjoy going through the levels. If I were going to nitpick something, maybe I could say that the bosses themselves could use a tad more personality, but Honestly, I don't even know if I believe that because I do kind of like the bosses as well. There's just a lot of really good stuff going on here. (laughs) My biggest complaint at this point right now is just because of the fact we got access to the game prior to launch meant that there were a couple things that unfortunately Seth and I couldn't interact with fully. Yeah, so so we should talk about a few things in this regard. Well, first of all, I wanted to bring this up uh, just real quickly because when you boot up the game... Um, you are given the choice of three modes to play. Um, you've got the standard mode, which is everything that we've just been talking about. Um, you've got mega mode, which while it still does procedurally generate all the levels of the entire game, it is a way, if you are somebody who does not like roguelikes, it is a way to take away that sort of permadeath restart your run thing. You can go back to the HQ, keep your level progress and, and keep going. So there is something in there. If you're somebody who just does not like that roguelike loop. So yeah. Yeah. If you want to if, if you want to complete a full run without having to constantly lose your progress, if you're not somebody who enjoys the prospect of running into a brick wall maybe a couple dozen times before getting to the end, the mega mode was specifically put in the game for that reason. Right. And then the third mode um, is the community mode, which yes! has a ton of cause the, the game, I mean And this is, I think, what really ratchets the game up to the next level, because everything we've said is great, but like where the potential of the game lies. And I think the reason that for our part, we really want to spotlight it and we hope that the game does well, because the tools that it gives the community to create their own content that people can can play through, in addition to things like online co-op, which you already mentioned, we weren't able to test that, unfortunately. Um, unfortunately i would have loved to but yes but the game has both local and online co-op so you can have so you and a friend can play as both nina and ash which is the biggest reason why the character models aren't as big on screen right as you know they were in more classic games is (laughs) to give you a little bit more space to work with frankly yeah so so i mean like when you when you take the totality of that where it's like cool like if you have a friend that has the game you can play this thing in co-op together and also like yeah just all of this community this user generated content 
is like is so neat and i think that's the kind of thing that will give this game legs if people latch onto it like it's one thing to have this stuff in their stock and you know maybe you spend a ton of time with it and you feel like you've exhausted everything but like if a community latches onto the tools that have been given here like that'll keep the game going for years yeah i mean i'm i'm not going to specifically use the term mega man maker uh but that's what the intent is behind the user-generated content. You can use any of the eight levels as a theme. And I mean, the game gives you quite a bit of leeway in terms of the placement of a lot of the things going on. There are uh, like the sub-boss and the main boss of the level, I think it forces you to use. But outside of that, you have a ton of freedom to make these really unique, really interesting levels within this game. So much so that the game has a pretty optimized, pretty in-depth way for you to search for user-created content. I would even say it's better than what Mario Maker 2 allows for. You have, uh, you know, just like in Mario Maker, you can add tags to your level and you can search for levels based on tags like Kaizo, uh, like, you know, puzzle solving, traditional stuff like that. You can search for it based on difficulty. You can search for it based on the code. Obviously, you can search for it based on the level theme. Basically, any parameter that you would think would affect the gameplay or affect the level, you can probably search for it based on that criteria. There's even apparently a verification uh check or a verification that you can get for your level, which you can search for levels that have been verified versus levels that haven't been verified. That's cool. Yeah. So there, like, there's a lot of potential here. There's an absolute ton of potential here. And I really hope that people see this. It really stunk that this game lost out on so much potential exposure from the media indie exchange summer, summer showcase because this is such a huge step up from 20XX and there is like so much meat on this bone and so much potential. This game has uh, has every right to have a very long and interesting lifespan. Like if the community latches onto this, you could have YouTubers who do nothing but generate content based on user-created levels from this. I would genuinely love to see stuff like that. I would love to play your user-created levels. If you if you make one, please share it with us. Share it with me. I would love to play your user-created levels. I'll do videos on user-created. You know what? We'll start doing it. I would love to see this game start to succeed more. I truly, truly think this is a special little title. There's stuff about the game that I specifically wrote down in my notes that I haven't even had time to start, that I haven't even had time to really praise yet. Like uh, attacks coming from off screen. This game has phenomenal indicators. You're almost never going to be in a situation, a cheap situation, where you're in an insta-death kind of uh, situation, which, you know, in run and gun games like Mega Man games, that's a big thing. This game has great indicators for off-screen attacks. It has different mid-level challenges that you can do, has platforming challenges, has combat challenges that you can initiate, which will give you, uh, they call them, I think, glory challenges. Yeah, yeah. But it gives you a, gives you a selection of augments to choose on, uh, to choose from based on how well you do and how much damage you take there's so so much going on here there's a ton of different like in-game shops and traders and 
There's there's all kinds of fun stuff. There's a boss rush mode in the game. It's 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 just so bloated with fun. You guys really need to check this out. Yeah, absolutely. Comes highly recommended. Thirty XX available now uh, on the yes. Nintendo Switch eShop. And again, it, it just came out September first after the the small delay. Please check it out. It's nineteen ninety nine uh, on the eShop. And with the amount of, con- I mean, if this, if you are a Mega Man X ZX fan, I mean, like. It's, you should already own it by the should. time you're listening to this. You really should. Episode. Yeah, tw- twenty bucks seems like a small ask for the amount of content in this game. Yeah, I mean, no real story to speak of. They do something uh, during the tutorial level, and you know, toward the end. But outside of that, there's there, there's not really like a Hades style narrative that happens in between runs. So there's not a lot of narrative meat here, but. I mean, that's really it. In terms of gameplay, there's a ridiculous amount of fun to be had. And I cannot wait to properly test out the online in the coming week now that we finally have the opportunity. I was, it, it really bummed me out that we couldn't test the online and that we couldn't delve deeper into these user created levels. There's a couple of them already available, but I just, I want to see more. I want to see what people can do with the tool set at this game's disposal. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, hopefully, I know Matt's talking about picking it up, so y'all probably yes. wind up playing, and that'll, Let's that'll go, be Matt. cool. Yeah. So I and hopefully other community members play as well. Uh, we would love to see your levels. We'd love to you know to play co-op, whatever the case may be. Check out Thirty XX. It's a cool little game. Yeah. If you do, absolutely reach out to us on Facebook, on Twitter. Join the conversation in our Discord. I would love to talk some more Thirty XX with you guys. Uh, but, you know, 30XX wasn't the only piece of amazing video game content that came out this past week, my friend. This was a big week for releases and specifically a big week for Rayman. The Rayman DLC just dropped for Mario Plus Rabbids Sparks of Hope. We've been waiting on this for almost a full calendar year been very highly anticipated but in addition to this for those who don't know rayman legends actually just celebrated its 10th anniversary this week as well yeah so good for you rayman yeah good on you rayman yeah rayman and the phantom show the sort of really feels like the closing of the book on mario plus rabbit sparks of hope and you know it's the final kind of big piece of dlc content We're, we're excited to to check it out ourselves but um really you know it, the the future of this little this little franchise that could frankly this concept that should never have worked and ended up working extraordinarily well is a bit up in the air right now we don't know what the future holds for mario plus rabbits but now that the book is closed on sparks of hope it gives us plenty of room to explore the space and uh, and think out you know kind of what we would want to see in a potential Mario plus Rabbids three and of course as we do here on All In it makes for the perfect top five. All right, Eric, the top five things we want to see in in hopefully a third Mario plus Rabbids game. What are the rules? <laughs> well, here we are talking about a potential Mario plus Rabbids threequel, and uh, with the the notable improvements that they've already made with Sparks of Hope, we do still feel like there are just some really obvious places that the game can still make 
big improvements on. And we have, this was one of our most highly anticipated games of last year. We were stoked when we saw it at Ubisoft. Um, And any potential Mario plus Rabbids, three would immediately become one of our most anticipated games of whatever year it's announced for. And should that happen, there are a couple things that going in to this potential third installment, we would absolutely love to see come to fruition. And I think especially with the Rayman drop still fresh in our minds, we'll start with a fairly low hanging fruit. Our number five is the DLC, and we mentioned that as kind of vague because there's a couple things that I think, a couple potential lessons learned that Ubisoft and David and the whole team over there at Ubisoft could take away from what they did with this with this season of DLC. And I think we'll start really with the cadence of it. Because as cool as it is that Rayman is back and all this good stuff, as we've already mentioned, we're kind of, we're almost a full calendar year removed from the initial release of the game, which because of the incredibly sparse amount of DLC drops, we're not necessarily saying that the amount of DLC within the season pass is small. It's just these drops have been months in between each other that have given the player base more than enough time to move on to something else and fully remove the game from their periphery. When it comes to DLC, I think one of the most important things they could do with any potential follow-up is to come up with a better cadence essentially of releases and not really give people the time to remove the game from their mind. It was just, it was weird. Like the, you know, the the DLC, the first piece of DLC took, yeah, months to come out. When it did, it was just the challenge tower, the Tower of Doom um, Doom. that that they released, which is cool. And then they had like the last Spark Hunter, which actually just came out in like late June. And then we were actually surprised that Rayman and the Phantom Show came out as soon as it did after that. It just... It felt strange. It it was a strange release cadence. And I felt like that like Tower of Doom should have come out like a month after the game did. Like they they should have, you know, it should have been a boom, boom, even like something as small. And again, this is a, a minor thing. And I understand that development costs are what they are and this, that and the other, but. There's also, you know, like they they didn't add a demo for the game until much later as well. Like it wasn't until this year that the game got a demo. And it's like these little things, you know, the the narrative around this game when it came out was, oh, it's a Ubisoft game, so I'll I'll probably get it on a sale or something. And so it became a self-fulfilling prophecy where by the end of the year, the game was like 20 or 30 bucks and still nobody bought it because people had already moved on. And then the people who did buy it, we're already bounced off of the game by the time DLC started dropping. So I do hope that, yeah, when, when Mario Rabbids three, if, and when that happens, I do hope that they have a pipeline kind of already established where they can just deliver this stuff at a steadier clip while the game is still fresh and relevant in all of our minds. Like keep me coming back, you know? Well, one of the things they could have done is the entire point of the tower of, 
And I'm not going to keep saying Doom that way, but the entire point of the Tower of Doom was this roguelike style element. These, you know, every time you jump in, it's a different type of event based battle. And something they could have done was instead of cramming all of that stuff into this one mode, maybe do something like what with Monster Hunter did and release bi-weekly event battles with different rewards, maybe new skins for the characters, maybe new skins for the weapons, maybe new weapons right. in between the bigger, chunkier, meatier story expansions. Uh, there are things that aren't necessarily content uh, that aren't necessarily content intensive that you could do to really give this game a uh, life beyond its initial release and having to wait until March the following year, we put the review out for sparks of hope back in early November. Uh, and we had to wait until well into this year before we saw even like not even a big story expansion, but just this like kind of standalone roguelike mode. Yeah. So yeah, I, th- I think that's a big one. And I mean, yes, selfishly, one of the big things about the DLC was, of course, these huge crossovers. The Donkey Kong expansion for the first game was one of the best parts about the entire package. Uh, It was amazing. And uh, I have no doubt, Seth and I haven't had the ability to play it yet, but we have no doubt that this Rayman expansion for Sparks of Hope is going to be similarly really cool. But you look at the gameplay style, you look at what Sparks of Hope is capable of, and there are frankly a couple characters, especially on the Nintendo side of things, that are frankly begging to come in and play around a little bit with these weapons and Mm -hmm. bombs and sniper rifles and everything like this. For me, far and away, the most obvious choice is someone like Samus, but yes, we're fairly sure that should a threequel to the Mario Rabbit series happen, they are going to have another high-profile crossover event with it. Uh, but there are a couple, maybe you know, sim- sentimental choices that we'd like to see. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would love. I mean, that could be its own top five, frankly. And I, you know, I that's true. I would love to do. You know, I, I would love to establish something where every three, four months or something, we get a big you know, chunky, you know, DLC that has like a cool crossover or whatever the case may be. But then, yeah, between they kind of keep up with that, that Monster Hunter thing, like you were saying, I think it's a great, you know, kind of corollary, these little tiny bite-sized things that we can go off and do and just keep us on the hook, keep that carrot on the stick. I mean, like there was so, it felt like there was so much hype around this Rayman DLC. The game didn't even get enough reviews to post an open critic score, which, you know, tangentially is good for us because we need all the help against the Nintendo pals we can get. Um, true. But like, you know, that just, I think goes to show how little or, or how much the interest has waned in the game as a result of this. So that, that is one of the big things that, you know, if, if we get a third bite at this apple, I think we need to crush the, the DLC strategy and just really come yeah. out swinging. And that stinks because the game itself is amazing. It's great. That's the whole reason. Yeah. That's the whole reason we're basing it. To, we wouldn't base a top five like this around a game that we didn't we like or weren't game. excited for. Yeah, we love the game for sure. But um, but yeah, we we need to we need to move on though because our number four is another thing. Um, and this is something we talked about when we reviewed the game. But the story, I think, in Mario Rabbids three, um, should 
should go deeper, just a little, a little more deeper plot. Like we had a nice kind of like, you know, there was a plot twist that everybody saw coming a mile away. Um, Mm -hmm. but beyond that, there's like all these little side characters that they give you a little bit of a taste. These, these wardens, these spark hunters, they give you a little teeny tiny taste of like kind of what's going on there. And it's interesting, but I want more of it. Let us go deeper in the plot with the next one. The deepest the narrative went, the most in-depth the narrative went in Mario plus Rabbit Sparks of Hope is when you're running around the main kind of dungeons of the, the hub areas and you keep running into these paintings. Right that tell the story essentially of the wardens and it's really cool a lot of the wardens have really interesting backstory but when the most interesting part of the narrative of this huge galaxy hopping cinematic adventure is text on screen over still images i think there's a little room for improvement yeah like i had that you know that that fan theory about edge And that was cooler than anything that actually happened with edge, you know, like that's just, that's what I mean. And, and, you know, another thing that, that I felt like I was really missing from sparks of hope is the, for lack of a better word, the Mario ness of it. One of the things I really liked about kingdom battle was that it did feel like a melding of the Mario universe of the mushroom kingdom and the world of the, the rabbits. Like it felt like the rabbits were kind of invading the, the mushroom kingdom. And, and that was cool. And in sparks of hope, it feels actually kind of like the opposite. Like it, it feels like there's very little like Mario going on beyond, you know, of course there's some Mario enemies and of course there's like the Mario characters, but like in terms of the actual, you know, like Mario flavor, I feel like we lost quite a lot of it in, in sparks of hope. And I would like there be to, to be more of a balance, I guess in, in a third entry. Well, this is such a distinct, uh, you know, side series within yeah. the Mario universe. It's so incredibly unique within the Mario spinoff uh, pantheon that it could very easily, very easily maintain its own unique big bad. It doesn't have to be Bowser. It doesn't have to be, you know, I'm trying to stay away from spoilers, but suffice it to say, I don't think curse is going to be a threat in the next game. Right. Uh, you can very easily create your own unique big bad and start to build them up. They can have their own backstory. I would assume it would be a rabid, uh, but I mean, it, I mean, that's something you can even play with. Who knows? But there is a lot of potential. You have two separate universes that have existed for very long times. The rabbits have existed since the days of the Nintendo Wii. And of course, Mario slightly longer, but you've got a ton of, you know, stuff there from both universes to draw from. If you want to do that, you can. If you want to create new OCs, you can. There's a lot of potential stuff there. And when it comes to RPGs in general, regardless of what type they are, if they're more tactical like this, if they're more turn-based, if they're more action RPG oriented, these are genres that really lend themselves to deeper, more intriguing narratives. And it's okay to do that with Mario occasionally, especially when you put them up with all of these incredibly interesting personality exploding characters like the rabbits. I love what they've done with rabbit peach and rabbit Mario. And frankly, most of the rabbitified versions of the mushroom kingdom. So let's continue to build on that. Let's, you know, 
let's build on those characters aside from the, them just being one dimensional proxies of more famous characters. We have the technology. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, it's the kind of thing where like they flirt with it in sparks of hope. And it's like, I really want to see y'all, you know, just go hard in the paint with it. I, I really, and I'm not saying like, I don't want, you know, Mario Rabbids three doesn't have to make me cry or anything like that, you know, but I do just want a little bit more depth going on there, I guess, just, you know, from, from the plot. Yeah. But speaking of depth, uh, there's, I mean, since we're talking about stuff that we would like to see from a hopefully expanded version of this game that we adore, why not? Let's talk about the gameplay uh, specifically the gameplay variety. Mm-hmm. That's our number three. Mm-hmm. And I love what they did with the core gameplay with the battles in Sparks of Hope. The tweaks and changes that they made were all incredibly welcome additions. The movement alone made the game feel brand new mm-hmm. and completely fresh. Uh, and there was a lot of fun. I mean, obviously the sparks, the addition of the sparks opened up the combat so, so much. But it would still be really nice to have something substantial outside of the battle system that we can do occasionally that required us to do a little bit more than hit a switch in the environment. Yeah. Exploring the environment was nice and fun. But when it came to actual gameplay challenges... There, there wasn't really anything too difficult beyond pushing a block or flipping a switch. And considering the two franchises you have crossing over here, we just talked about you, you know, narrative stuff that you could draw from. There's a ton of gameplay influence that you could draw from from both of these series as well. Well, they, yeah, I mean, like, they had a couple of interesting things in the, in the overworlds and the different planets that you went to in Sparks of Hope. You had those little challenge rooms, you know, that, that you could, those challenge door rooms that you could go in. Those were cool. You could, um, you know, like. Not saying they were, not saying the game was completely devoid of stuff to do. Totally. Outside of the battles, but there's always room for expansion. Right. And, and they, they had, um, you know, they, they had a couple of things that, that you could kind of play with. There, there were a few, uh, odds and ends there but even like you know the game has side quests that were basically just go kill x amount of these enemies you know they didn't yeah. really go any deeper than that you know I, w- I would like to see more of that i would like to see like this is something that um that that you brought up like we have the rabbits in here it is kind of crazy that considering that the rabbits cut their teeth um, being like a party game, like a like a Mario Party style mini game collection. There's no like mini games really in here at all. Seems like a perfect yeah. opportunity. The rabbits have been around for so long that a lot of people really forget the first couple games they appeared in on the Nintendo Wii, which were effectively just Rayman themed mini game collections. They were both really good. Rayman Raving Rabbits and Raving Rabbits Two on the Nintendo Wii were both incredible minigame collections. Now, uh, I I think part of that is the fact that the Wii was drowning in minigame collections, so I can see that, you know, that it may not be as fondly remembered for that reason, but 
you know, go back to the Rabbids' roots. The Rabbids don't necessarily have their own mushroom kingdom. They don't necessarily have as much lore or narrative meat to draw from as you can with the Mario characters. But when it comes to gameplay variety, they have been in a ton of uh, of other style and other gimmick and other genre games. But if you're going to draw from that, I would heavily recommend throwing in some mini games that harken back to those original Wii days, those really, really good titles from Nintendo's little waggle fest back in the 2000s. There's a lot of potential stuff that you could do. You could have, I'm I'm not saying, you know, have 50 of them or anything, but every overworld could have a couple tied to side quests. You could even have one that's tied to, you know, the main quest. And if you absolutely wanted to, you know, we're in this era of accessibility options. If you absolutely wanted to kind of turn on easy games or uh, maybe even, you know, automatic win games or whatever, if you absolutely wanted to do that, maybe you could include that as an option. But regardless, I think that would be a very easy way to add variety uh, in a way that not only makes the game more interesting, but serves the franchise that you're trying to celebrate. Right. How, I mean, how is there not a dance party mini game when you save I know, D- right? DJ cheap tuna? Like how, you know, <laughs> how, how was there not, you know, when, when you're on beacon beach, you save it, you clear out the dark mess from that area and they, he starts playing the music. How was, how did that not just immediately launch into some sort of beach dance off mini game. I just, you know, like the, the potential no, is go there. kill five, but bombs. Yeah. Like the, the potential is just there. And I, again, I understand this is all, this all costs money and time and resources. I, I get all of that, but if we're taking a third entry bigger and better then yeah, give us a little bit more, uh, gameplay variety and, and a little gameplay depth, but yeah, that's we, doing like stuff like that. that would also drive up the hype meter for this game because that was another issue with Sparks of Hope is because people were excited about it, but it was still one of those things where people still said, "We'll wait for it to go on sale" because they unfortunately knew it would. Having more stuff like this, having more interesting, varied gameplay stuff within these games will drive up the excitement considerably for your next title. Yeah. Well, going into our number two, um, you know, another thing, and it's, and it's easy for us to just come in here and say, ah, the things that we want are more, (laughs) you know, and that's obvious when you make a sequel, that's kind of the idea. But, um, when it comes to additional depth, I think that something, you know, Sparks of Hope had a, had an amazing combat system. Like one of my favorite strategy RPG combat systems, period. I, I really think it's great. You mentioned earlier the movement options that, that we were given, but there, there was still, I felt a little bit of a reserved feeling to the combat. Yeah. Like it didn't quite go as hard as it could have. And I feel like they, they had the mission of kind of trying to have their cake and eat it too, trying to appeal to a kind of casual Nintendo audience while also appealing to the hardcore XCOM audience. And I feel like they ended up kind of appealing to neither, um, and at least not perfectly anyway. And so I would just, there are a few things that I think could be added or tweaked. Um, to to really give us the sort of combat depth that these games are begging for in the third one. Honestly, when it comes to that, I think this kind of fits here. But 
having more difficulty options, I feel yep. like if you want a more accessible game that feels more like a casual Mario game, sure, you can have that base level difficulty. But if you are looking for an XCOM alternative and you want that punishingly difficult, potentially even permadeath, you know, not saying that a character permadeath. would actually die. Yeah. <laughs> not, not saying that a character would actually die. Dude, but that, Luigi you know, just got killed. I can't believe it. Yeah. <laughs> just saying they wouldn't be available to fight anymore. You yeah. Know? But if you wanted something akin to that, you know, like Luigi's just stuck taking a nap on the ship for the rest of the game or something like that. But if you wanted something like that, I think you should have access to that as well. It's a staple of uh, the genre, frankly. Yeah. And... Uh, again, they expanded stuff in meaningful ways with this sequel, but with a threequel, I think it's time to throw in everything and the kitchen sink. I think you need, you know, 10 different win conditions. It's not just beat everybody or get to this area or survive for a certain number of turns. Right. I think you can start to get really creative with it, really interesting with it. That Those were honestly... Like the most interesting win conditions, the most interesting uh, battles that didn't just force you to kill everybody on the map, defeat right. all the enemies on the map. Those were the most memorable encounters of the game for me. I agree. Is is when they decided to say, "Is like, you know what? Let's see how we can make this encounter more interesting beyond just, hey, knock out these enemies. Yeah, I think I think the three is when you absolutely go all in on that and just say, how nuts can we get with these wind conditions? How nuts can we get with these battles? Right. And and even like something that I found, I felt like I was kind of looking for, too, was even like it'd be great to have some level of like an extra layer of challenge for people who are looking for it, because, you know, Sparks of Hope is really great about accessibility options. You can just make yourself invincible in that game if you want to. Um, which is, Bro. which is cool, you know, and that's good for, for your casual gamer who might be having trouble or whatever. Um, but like, I think for the quote unquote hardcore gamer, the seasoned gamer, the people who are familiar with the genre totally breezed through this game, you know, and like there's beyond just making yourself take more damage. There aren't a lot of options there for you. I would have loved if we had like secondary objectives, like, you know, complete this in X amount of turns or complete this without taking X amount of damage or whatever, like little things that could have tangible rewards for people who want to pursue them, I think would be a great optional way to appeal to that hardcore audience. And, and again, just give it a little more teeth. Like the game is kind of lacking in that. Well, we say they should add that. What we should be saying is they should add that back in. Right. Because that was actually something they did with the first game. Because uh, every combat encounter in Kingdom Battle in the first title, every single one was scripted. Right. Uh, in terms of uh, the situation, the map, and then uh, the enemies that you faced. In the second game, in Sparks of Hope, there were a ton of... Uh, not random battles, but there were a ton of battles in the overworld that you could get into to grind for experience, money, or what have you. And because you could get into all of these superfluous battles, they removed a lot of those, you know, hey, this is an S ranker. Hey, you did this in this battle, so you get more experience points. You can add those back in for the scripted encounters while leaving those out for the extra battle. I'm not talking totally. about removing the extra battles. 
but you can still have stuff like that for the scripted encounters, for the mini bosses, for the story battles, for stuff like that. You can bring those in and those can add different challenges. I mean, a lot of those, you can make them as, uh, as mandatory challenges. Again, those, those types of uh, fights, those types of encounters in Sparks of Hope were the most interesting for me. Like there was this one that you basically had to keep bombing. You had to keep like blowing up the the the, the bridge or keep blowing up these rocks further and further down mm-hmm. to I, th- I think get a waterfall down there or something. Yeah. But, you know, doing stuff like that and having these extra conditions, making those mandatory is fun. But even just having them as, uh, uh, you know, even just having them as uh, potential uh, optional stuff is would be just as fun. And then you can have other stuff. You talk about optional objectives. You could have a lot more environmental interaction. Like maybe you have something like that where you're fighting in a volcano. And if you happen to blow up this little area of the map, then, you know, it spurts and creates a big lava plume. Uh, that damages enemies around it or, you know, it creates, you know, removes that part of the terrain. And if you run over it or if characters are on top of it, it causes, you know, dot damage, damage over time. Like there's, there's a ton of new, there's a ton of extra ways that you could add depth to it. Uh, And again, you know, I'll, I'll just reiterate, we still think they made a huge step forward in that regard, but just looking at the combat as is, we just see so many other interesting creative ways that they can take it to the nth degree. Yeah. And and I know that this is all just like, you know, non-game designers telling game designers how they should game design. I get that. Yeah. But like, but, but at the same time, it's like when, you know, being like huge fans of, of this franchise, this is the kind of stuff that you we look at. We wanted to sell 15 million copies. Well, I just, yeah, I, I look at it and you, and you can't help but see where, where a lot of this stuff could potentially go. I even, you know, I, I even think about like little things in the combat that, that could really take it to the next level. Cause I do think that the sparks in Sparks of Hope really, I yeah. mean, the amount of combat options those gave you w- was really special, really incredible. Um, and, and I was even thinking about like, it'd be so cool if they introduced like combo moves, like Chrono Trigger style combo moves like that, that sort of thing, just stuff like that to like, just increase the amount of options you have on the battlefield, um, would be, would be really great to see. So yeah, we, there, there are a lot of places that you could, you could certainly go, um, with, with the combat in the game. So like, even if you just, even if you just gave each character an extra potential ability that they could do, I know it would kind of screw up the balance you have right now, but you know, if I was going to say anything about the combat, it still felt like the characters themselves only really had like a couple things that they can do. If you just gave each character one extra ability, the amount of viability and the amount of potential strategies that opens up when you talk about a party of three becomes exponential, becomes so exponential. But when you just have like three individual abilities that each character has, one being attack, one being sub attack and one being their ability, you know, it's every character feels bottlenosed and kind of, you know, forced into you know maybe a circle being forced into the square peg which i know is exactly where the sparks came in but i still think the characters should have more tools without forcing the sparks into the gameplay the sparks should have 
the the sparks shouldn't have been such a necessity to to bring the variety that the combat has in sparks of hope in my opinion yeah i mean like i i like i like that the sparks are necessary but i but i i do to your point like you you don't really have many options in the way of like builds you know like every you know the the characters are going to operate the way the characters are going to operate at the end of the day you know and yeah you have a skill tree and yeah there you know you can put points in here versus there but at root these characters are going to play the same way for everybody who plays them right so there, you know, there, there is a little bit, I think that, uh, uh, that can be done there, but, um, before we get into our number one, I know this is a bit of a weird list to have honorable mentions, but we do have some honorable <laughs> mentions. <laughs> and, you know, this is just more like it would be nice. Right. Um, but especially given how much press Super Mario Wonder has gotten because of its incredibly refreshing visual take on the Mario franchise, we think something similar could really breathe life into a potential Mario Rabbids threequel because the, the games look good, but you could argue that visually when it comes to aesthetics and a visual identity it might fall into that same kind of just bland Mario looks good, but zero personality that a lot of people claimed was the, the downfall of the new super Mario brothers franchise for a decade. Yeah. Like I, I can, I can see that. Like it, it looks like the very tried and true kind of like vanilla. This is how Mario looks. There's no, you know, like, like no rough edges. Like this is just, this is the way Mario looks. It would be kind of nice to see a little bit of, you know, yeah, a little more personality. I could, I could see that. Some actual, some actual art direction, maybe. Um, yeah. I mean, like you get that with, I think like the environments and stuff, but what the characters, I think specifically, uh, the characters do look a little like, like, yeah, just exactly what you expect and nothing more. Yeah. Uh, Grant Kirkhope, y- uh, Yokoshimamura, and the other guy Gareth did Coker. a really good. <laughs> <laughs> I only say that because that was that was effectively how the game soundtrack was was received by everybody. But yes, uh, Yokoshimamura, uh, Grant Kirkhope, uh, Gareth Coker did a very good job. But and my amazing co-host can definitely speak more intelligently to this it did lend the soundtrack to feeling a little disjointed. I felt that. I mean, like, I feel like I'm in the minority on that. Like a lot of people laud the game soundtrack that I think, I think it might've even won like some awards. I don't know. I'm not, it's not a bad soundtrack at all. No, like, there are three incredibly talented people totally. among the greatest of all time. Totally. Yeah. Like they're and Gareth Coker. <laughs> I, that's not fair. He's he's really good, and he's he's an award winning really composer good. in his own right. Yeah, um, you know, but but like the the reality of it is, or at least how, the way I felt about it was that you could it, it's three different composers, and you can tell. Like Grant Kirkhope came in; he's the lead composer, and he has established the oral identity of Mario plus Rabbids. And so when you put Yoko Shimomura in the mix, it's like, okay, cool. Now it's going to sound like Kingdom Hearts for this track. And it just does like there. And it, to me, felt a little strange. I wanted a little bit more cohesion with the soundtrack. And if I'm being honest, 
it almost felt like they they had these other composers come in to guest compose just so that they can say that. Like, just so that they can say, hey, Yoko Shimomura, the person who composed Super Mario RPG, like, is here for our Super Mario RPG. Yeah. Like, it just, it, like, it felt like you were checking a box a little bit, and, like, that's totally fine. And I think, again, on its own, the music is really good. But as a cohesive whole, to me, it does feel disjointed. And I, I would just like a little bit more of a just flag in the ground. This is the identity. This is what this is. So, I mean, you, you want to bring in a guest composer, bring in Koji Kondo. I mean, like, that's the thing. I, I honestly, as cool as it is to have Yokushima Mura on there, like there was a part of me that was like, just be Grant Kirkhope. Like, just let him keep doing his thing. You know, like he, he was already doing so well and he still composes the vast majority of the soundtrack. So you want to put Mario into a galaxy hopping adventure and make it feel like a galaxy hopping adventure. Mario Galaxy's soundtrack feels like a galaxy hopping adventure soundtrack. It's it's just it, it's interesting. And I also just real, real quick cuz I know that, you know, pe- I still get comments from people about <laughs> people this. People are still bugging you about it online. <laughs> I still get comments about this. So just like for me put put Yoshi and Rabbit Yoshi back in for the third one. <laughs> People are still <laughs> freaking out about it. So, yes, please. <laughs> uh, but going into our number one, it may be obvious to the point of anticlimax, but like if if you're going to do only one thing out of everything that we've talked about over the past half hour, if you're only going to do one thing, the third game in the Mario Rabbids franchise needs to have robust online gameplay man this and this is where my imagination starts to run wild because like you can you know and and i think that this would even solve the problem that we mentioned with number five the dlc problem if you had some sort of way for people to create user-generated content if i could pop in and playthrough scenarios that other players have created with enemy placements, with objectives and stuff like this, like that would be really incredible. And like to say nothing of the options that online would give you for PVP. Like if you and I can go head to head against each other with our teams, like, Oh. And because it's because it's a turn-based RPG, you could do something like they did with Fire Emblem Engage, where it's basically just, hey, you jump online, you yeah, yeah, you 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 jump online, you take a turn, you wait for you know your opponent to jump online and take a turn. You don't necessarily have to get on and and do you know an entire forty-minute battle or something, and it doesn't even have to be forty minutes. You can very easily balance the third game in the series to allow for you know, fairly fast paced, relatively, you know, springy PVP style battles. There's so many, like esports is such a big thing now. Could you imagine a a game like this? Because there really is no PVP like this that exists within the esports scene. Sure, you've got, you know, uh, a lot of your MOBAs and you got like League of Legends and, and uh, obviously the, the FGC and fighting games. But if you had a really premier PVP tactical RPG like that, you could turn it into an esport and it would give any entry in this series 
legs for years. Yeah. I mean, I even think about it in terms of like, what if they allowed for co-op? What if they allowed for two players to go through and command, you know, a team together and strategize together? If we could sit there and plot out our strategies and vocalize that and, you know, call out to the other player, like that kind of stuff, like there's just so much potential. And again, I know that none of what we're saying is as easy as just, you know, snap your fingers and make it so, but like, there really is a ton of like room for this. I, I feel like that if nothing else we've said here happens, these little online functionality things could really ratchet up a third entry to the next level. And I think give it the legs it kind of needs to, to make it viable, you know? Yes. We understand that you don't just snap things into existence when it comes to video games. We understand that it takes an incredibly large and uniformly talented group of individuals to bring these things to life. But of everything we've talked about when it comes to work versus potential reward, like there are so many games that thrive just because of their multiplayer component. And again, with all of the multiplayer games out there, there would be nothing like this. There are yeah. innumerable multiplayer shooters. There's a ton of different MOBAs out there now. There's even a ton of them on the Nintendo Switch at this point, but there really wouldn't be anything like this in competitive esports, and you could balance the game around making player versus player a priority. You can absolutely have your big, expansive campaign and DLC with these huge story expansions, but like there's, I, I just see so much potential here to tap into a market that a lot of people don't even realize does exist and could very easily be tapped into. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, if Davide Soliani and or anybody from the Mario Rabbit Sparks of Hope team is listening to this and isn't already super annoyed by everything we've been saying, uh, hey, let's <laughs> we will we will say again we love Sparks of Hope. It is absolutely fantastic. We gave it a, an incredibly glowing view last year when it came out. I'm genuinely excited to jump into the Rayman expansion, especially as good as the Donkey Kong expansion was, and one of the biggest reasons we're talking about it is just because we're so frustrated at the lack, like this game should have sold 15 million copies. Yeah, it should have, it should have sold a lot more than it did for sure. And even Ubisoft was like, Hey, like we were disappointed even to, to see, you know, the, the sales of it. So we, we, we just, we want nothing but the best for, uh, for yeah. this game. But uh, before we wrap up, let's go down our list one last time here. Nice. Yeah. So for our number five, we were talking DLC, better cadence, more crossovers and mo stuff. Yeah. Number four was story. Give us a deeper plot, more character development, more, more Mario-ness, please. Yeah. For our number three, we're talking gameplay variety. Maybe not a hundred side quests that were just kill five bombs. Maybe throw in some Raving Rabbids mini games. Mm -hmm. Our number two was combat depth. Give us some optional miss, uh, mission objectives. Give us some difficulty options. Give us, yeah, did more stuff like the super bosses. Give us a, a little more teeth. Just a little more. 
And for our number one, just please understand how many Nintendo Switch online subscriptions that are sold right now. Just <laughs> yeah. please realize. Yeah, but that's just our thoughts. That's that's kind of where, where we're coming from. And uh, we would love to hear what everybody else thinks of it, especially if you're a fan yes. of, of Mario Rabbids. You probably have some kind of opinion on this. And we really want to encourage the the community, everybody listening, let us know. Like we would love to hear your ideas. And and I just Absolutely. I just do I do also hope that talking about this out loud and we'll we'll do something to will a third game into existence. Cause I love this series. I do too. Like you, like how long did we talk about kingdom battle before sparks of hope was announced? And then after sparks of hope was announced, how much did we talk about how much we left kingdom battle? Yeah. And I mean, Oh, so good. So this, this franchise deserved the world. We hope it gets all of it. Um, but we've talked about that for long enough. Seth, there's yet another thing that came out within this past week, another big return. Rayman wasn't the only massive return from this past week. Uh, Samba de Amigo. I don't know the main character's name, unfortunately. Just Amigo. Is, yeah. Is it just Amigo? Okay. I think so. Yeah. So <laughs> Samba de Amigo, um, you know, was a, a Dreamcast game, came out in like 99, 2000, had a Wii version that came out in 2008, itself now nearly 15 years old. And um, <laughs> yes, uh, the the second proper entry into the Samba de Amigo now franchise from Sega did release Samba de Amigo Party Central. I've been playing a bunch of it. I've got a lot of thoughts as somebody who's a big fan of, uh, of Samba de Amigo, the first one. So uh, yeah, sit back and we're going to get into it in our full review of Samba de Amigo Party Central. Party! Yes, I've been spending most of my week with 30XX. I'm very interested to hear about your exploits in Samba de Amigo Party Central, my friend. But before we get started, very quickly, for those who may have never joined us for a review discussion, here's what we do. First off, we don't really break things down into a numbered score or a star rating. So you're not going to hear like any nines out of tens or two stars or anything like that. We really feel that video games are far too complicated of an art form to just boil down to a single number. They just mean way too much to distill it into something that insultingly simple, frankly. Another thing that we do, we, in order to give some form and function to these discussions, we break it down in terms of four things. First, we will talk about the game's narrative. Then we will discuss the game's presentation. Following that, we will discuss the music. And then lastly, of course, the gameplay, the most important part of any piece of interactive entertainment. That's right. Samba de Amigo. Um, <laughs> this, this is a bit of a funny one to, to start us off with, um, with story, you know, uh, you know, this is a rhythm game. All right. Samba de Amigo is a, th this is a, a sequel to a Dreamcast rhythm game. Rhythm games do not typically have much in the way of a narrative or a story. Right. Um, 
Somebody Amigo Party Central, though, does have a single player sort of component, a little bit of a story mode, a little, there, there's a little something going on here. Um, <laughs> I just, I'm for some reason, like I'm immediately getting flashbacks of uh, DDR Mario mix in that weird Waluigi style single player campaign where you have to like dance to get across a bridge or something. Is it like that? It's so the, the setup of it, it's, it's a, it's, it's called stream ego. Um, and it essentially like it, it opens up with this kind of like MTV looking thing with like, uh, Amigo That's music television for our younger viewers. Yeah. It, it, it looks like one of those like, listeners. Yeah. It looks like one of those MTV kind of like visual stingers where it's just like overproduced and, um, you know, you don't get a whole lot of setup, but, but what it basically is, is Amigo is trying to become a, like a, a music, a rhythm, like streamer and is taking on other like influencers in the space. <laughs> and, <laughs> Uh, is going around the city to basically, and, and effectively the way this works is you've got a set of missions um, that you take on against other streamers and, you know, compete in the rhythm gameplay with them uh, in order to take their followers away. Basically, you steal their followers, gain your follower count, increase your count, take on new people, get higher and higher until eventually you're the the biggest rhythm influencer in the city. That's basically the the whole gist of it um it's stupid seth i i think you're mistaken we talked we talked about bomber cyberfunk last week i didn't we're, we're here to talk about it's dumb it's it's like you know like the setup is dumb it's really just fancy window dressing but the mode itself is kind of interesting because you basically okay. are given this um this kind of like bounty board almost of other influencers you all have names and character designs and stuff and some of them are kind of funny like at a certain point you unlock uh, a a duo set of influencers who look like these kind of like bears like these blues brother looking bears with like sunglasses and suits one of them is named chumba bar and the other one is wumba bar you know that's actually kind of dope yeah pretty good pretty good and um you know you've got this kind of like glitzy glamorous like a uh, bunny rabbit lady named Rabina, you know, like they, they, there are characters here. You don't have like any sort of like story interaction with them. It's not that deep. You just go in. Usually they'll have between three and five missions to take on. It will tell you the difficulty of the mission. It will tell you any sort of like win condition. So um, sometimes the win condition of that challenge is you have to get a certain rank in the song. Sometimes it is you have to get enough perfect notes in a row and then complete the song. And then sometimes, usually, it'll culminate in kind of a versus battle against them where you are both playing the same song and then the NPC, you're basically fighting to see who does better and who gets the most followers at the end of it. You clear all their missions, you get more followers, you unlock new people, rinse and repeat. Um, and the, the setup of it's kind of funny because, like, they even have a little fake, like, Twitch chat thing on there where, like, in the left-hand side of the screen, there will be, like, a chat box of people, like, commenting on, like, what you're doing, which is kind of funny. You know, it's kind of cute. And you'll, you know, it's it's all, they repeat lines and stuff all the time, but it's a funny little touch. Um and yeah, you just, you go through, you're leveling up the entire time. There's a persistent, like, sort of over 
overarching level, like for anything that you do in the game, you're getting like, you know, experience leveling up, unlocking new cosmetics and stuff, which we'll get so to later. So there is like an actual experience point yeah. thing going on in here. Okay. Yeah. And you okay. can, and you get currency too, that you can spend to unlock cosmetics and stuff. I'll, I'll get into that a little bit more later, but, but that's the, that's the gist of it. And the, the problem that I, that I have with it, it's a neat idea actually. And it's, it's deeper, um, well, I don't even want to say deeper, but but it's there's more to it than I thought there would be going in. Um, there there's more going on here. It's it's a little bit you know it's a little bit more than just like set dressing. I guess there's actually something that's kind of neat is uh the the missions that you have access to will actually rotate out. Like there might be a completely different set of missions depending on when you play. There's actually, uh, I don't know how much of this is baked into the game, but apparently every week there are these, the, these missions that are tagged with like an exciting tag. It says exciting on it. And that means that they are like weekly challenge missions that you can go in and do that will rotate out depending on when you're playing the game. So the, the missions that I'm currently playing are going to be different than somebody who's playing it a week, two weeks from now. So that's kind of neat that, you know, that, that goes a little bit further than I think I was kind of expecting it to. Um, so outside of just, just going in to play songs, just for the sake of playing songs, there is actually something resembling a campaign mode and they do yeah. have timed challenges that switch out every once in a while, which is neat, you know, and like, that's, All right. that, that's All right. cool. Like I, you know, I, I like that that's there, you know, um, I will say one thing that is, a little bit of a bummer is like when it really comes down to it. And and you're going to hear me say this about a couple of different elements of the game, but like the win conditions for these are never any deeper ultimately than just play the game. Well, it's either don't get, you know, don't miss more than two or three notes or perfect X amount of notes in a row or get a certain rank. Like all of those are, those are three different types of objectives, like three different types of win conditions. But ultimately they all are the same thing. Just play the game well, <laughs> right? And like on one hand, I can appreciate that they even have tried that at all. This is Samba de Amigo. It should not be complicated, but I think of something like theater rhythm that has a really good balance of like having interesting win conditions or bonus conditions or whatever, um, on top of the kind of core rhythm gameplay. I wish they had gone a little further with it, but it is still nice that like, if you are a single player gamer, if you're the type of person that is only ever going to play this by yourself, you do have a little bit here. So it's fair it's enough. Neat. Fair enough. All right. Well, any closing thoughts on the narrative in Samba de Amigo Party Central, such <laughs> as it is? Such as it is. Yeah, there's not much of an actual narrative, but it's, you know, the, the streamy go mode is a is a neat little little mode. And there's, you know, there, there's a little bit more there than I than I thought there was. So. There is actually more than literally zero single player content. Yeah, they could have just they could have just not done it, you know. And so like I, I, I appreciate that it's there. Um, for sure. But Moving into the game's presentation, uh, this is one that I think is going to be a very interesting discussion because when you talk about rhythm-based games, uh, I think the, the game has to be very flashy. It has to convey the sense of being a party. It's got to be almost like a spectacle on screen. However, at the same time, 
if you go too far in that regard, you can be very visually distracting and it can make the game harder to play because of it. So I'm very interested to see or very interested to hear rather, uh, you know, kind of where the visual flair of Samba de Amigo Party Central sits. Yeah, so, I mean, the the actual character models look pretty good. Um, one thing that, and this is going to sound like a negative, but I actually mean this positively. Um, the The game, like, doesn't look that different than it did, like, on the Wii and the Dreamcast. In a good way, actually. Like, Samba de Amigo never had to look, yeah, I don't need photorealism from Samba de Amigo, you know, like I, and even like some of the things like the little like pop-ups for the poses and like the text pop-ups, even they look kind of like, they kind of, it gives you the feeling of like the Dreamcast or something um, in a way that I actually kind of like. If you are somebody who has no nostalgia for that, you might look at this and think like, oh, like, like this game's, you know, whatever, not anything to write home about. But, um, but I like it. There's a lot of color, um, there are a couple of like interesting little like stage effects that, that can happen, um, that, you know, there can be like fireworks going off and like interesting things, but, um, somebody Amigo has a very like simplistic gameplay style in the first place. So, um, you don't really need to, in other words, there's not that much to distract you from, I guess, uh, in Samba de Amigo, the, the visuals are there to sort of like become like a whole a whole part of the the package like you can kind of just lose yourself in what's going on in the music um and and just kind of enjoy it without having to worry too much about actually you know meeting the the requirements to hit the notes or whatever and that's something i'll talk about more uh when we get into gameplay but yeah i think it looks good it runs totally fine no problems there at all i had no technical issues whatsoever uh you know like it it, I think nails what it's going for. Like it's, you know, it's, it's doing the thing. Like it is what you think it is. Um, in all of the, in all of the good and bad ways, I guess, if you're not somebody who can appreciate a bit of a throwback or, or something that doesn't necessarily has, you know, look photo real, um, then, then maybe this isn't for you, but like the animations are totally fun. You know, like Amigo, he just, just never stands still. Like just, they, they just, they do not stand. They're always dancing, always moving, you know? And, uh, I just, yeah, I, it's fun. Like, it's just a fun, colorful game. So, well, I think of, uh, I think of rhythm based games like this. I think of DDR, I think of theater rhythm and very often, you know, you've got your more gameplay centric stuff, uh, prominently in the foreground, yeah. but in the background, it always feels like a music video going on in the background. So is that kind of what's going on here or is, yeah. is it something different than that? It, it, that is kind of what's going on here. There, there is a, there are a couple of little implements that you can turn on or off depending on if you, if you like them or not. So for example, um, if you're playing with motion controls, you can actually choose to have like the, the maracas physically display on the screen, like, and it'll, it'll track like your, your hand motions. You can actually see on screen kind of what your maracas are doing if you want to do that. Um, okay. but, but otherwise, yeah, you're just, you're basically just seeing six circles on the screen 
and whatever characters are, you know, and, and they do go hard in the paint with like the NPCs and stuff in the backgrounds. Everybody's dancing, having a good time. Amigos freaking out and dancing and doing his thing. <laughs> Usually there's some kind of like DJ in the background and like, it's a bunch of like fun, like animal characters. There's like a chameleon DJ that's like kind of going off in the background. You know, it's just a fun party. Like visually, the whole thing is just, it's just a fun party. And that's exactly what it should be. It looks, I think, I think it looks exactly how it should. Nice. Well, I guess here is where we can very quickly touch upon a couple of those cosmetics you were talking about. Yeah, that's true. So probably whenever you're going through the game and you're earning experience, you're leveling up, you're getting these like... I don't know what they call They're just coins, like Amigo coins, I guess. You know, just little <laughs> coins with Amigo's face on it. Um, Samba silver, you know. Sure, yeah. It, <laughs> they, they don't ever really call it anything. But um, but yeah, you get coins and you have this entire in-game shop. There aren't any microtransactions, but there is like a, a big in-game shop of stuff to unlock. Not unlike what we saw with like Super Monkey Ball Banana Mania. Um, where you go into the shop and you just buy a bunch of cosmetic stuff for, for this game. Also made by Sega. Of course. Yeah. In this one, it's a lot of like costumes. So you can buy new outfits for Amigo to wear headgear, glasses. You can even change Amigo's like, uh, like fur color, um, which is kind of interesting. You got a few options for that. You can of course change the maracas. So, you know, while by default you have two maracas, you can get like baseball bats. You can get, uh, you know, swords even. You can get ice cream. You can get like shish kebabs and s'mores and, you know, bananas and like all kinds of glow sticks, all kinds of little things. You can glow even, sticks. <laughs> yeah, you, you can even unlock, uh, they've got in here about two dozen different sounds that you can unlock for your maracas whenever you shake your maracas. So they, they really go pretty hard. There's also, uh, because the game does have an online component and I'll get into that. But so to go along with your sort of online presence in the game, uh, you can have a profile picture and a background for your sort of icon. Um, so there's a bunch of those that you can buy too. So, I mean, there's, there's probably a good, you know, between all of this stuff, there's probably a good like 100, 150 things that that you can, you know, purchase with the in-game currency that you're earning here. And there's quite a lot like I, you know, and, and this is another thing that I'll talk about a little bit later, but I got uh, the digital deluxe upgrade for mm-hmm. the game. And so my Amigo right now has got a stupid like I.I. like kind of <laughs> hat on from Super Monkey Ball. Um <laughs> He's got like a kind of like jacket on that has like bananas on it from Super Monkey Ball. He's got two maracas that look like Eggman from Sonic, you know, just like dumb, fun like stuff like that. But even like stock in the game, even beyond like that, that kind of stuff, you can get some pretty silly stuff. Like you can get a, you know, a big banana costume for him to wear. You can get like a weird dinosaur costume for him to wear, some knight armor, you know. Even like some some stuff that makes him kind of just look like a normal like rave kid, you know, like one of those things where he can have like a a tie dye like shirt, 
He can have like some kind of like neon pastel outfits where he just he looks like he would fit right in at like a beach party rave or something, you know. <laughs> and then of course, going back to Samba de Amigo's kind of roots where he has a lot of like, you know, he's wearing a sombrero and kind of like, you know, Hispanic, you know, Latin inspired clothes and stuff like this. So um, you know, there, there's a lot of stuff like that that you can unlock too. Um, some of them are gated behind your actual level, um, your actual, your, your player level. I think the highest one unlocks at like 15 or 20. So, um, so some of them do unlock as you're progressing as well. When you level up, you'll either get some kind of new cosmetic or you'll get the Amigo coins that you can spend on other cosmetics. So the, the cosmetic loop is the main like unlock loop of the game. Nice. Well, when it comes to presentation, my last question is like when it comes to the UI, uh, I assume it looks all crisp. You never really had an issue uh, making out kind of what you needed to do or the prompts or no. any kind of visual indicators. No, totally uh, fine. Yeah. All right. No complaints. Menu is all fun and cool and got a lot of flair to them. It's, I mean, it's pretty standard. Like it's, you know, it's just like a list of, it's a list of stuff like the, the main menu. It's got, you know, your, your various modes and things, your online mode you've got, uh, you do have access to a gallery, but it's not really a gallery. It just, it, it's got like the, the game has a bit of an in-game, like achievement system that you can go through and, and look at. Uh, and it also has a, like a link to the, to the customization shop, which is weird because at any time you could just press X and go to the same menu. Um, when, when you give me a gallery, I thought I was going to be unlocking concept art and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, that's what I would figure. There's nothing like that. It's just, you, you can play the tutorial again, go to the credits, you know, look at your achievements. That's about it. So it's pretty straightforward. And this is all I should say too, as I'm talking about the sort of like simplistic nature of this game, another thing that is worth noting, um, this is not a full priced release. This is like a $40 game. It's like very much kind of a, kind of a budget release. So do, do keep that in mind. Uh, but any closing thoughts on the presentation stuff? No, I think, I think we pretty much covered it. We got to get into the meat and potatoes here. <laughs> well, I was about to say when it comes to rhythm games, it doesn't really get more meat and potatoes than the music. Right. Right. And the interesting thing about Samba de Amigo is it's, um, it's licensed music. I mean, this is a series that, you know, the, the bread and butter of it is licensed music. This is not like original Samba de Amigo music. You're going to be playing songs like Just Dance from Lady Gaga and Karma Chameleons in here, you know, and um, they, they've got a couple of things. I Will Survive is is in here. Nice. Um, I, I Really Like You from Carly Rae Jepsen's in here. You know, <laughs> they've got they've got like kind of these, a lot of <laughs> That's them. That's actually pretty dope. <laughs> yeah, Zed, uh, Zed's Break Free is in there. And like a lot of like, I feel like they have a pretty good mix of like poppy sort of music, but but also plenty of like kind of rave, like EDM style music. So they they have like a bunch of different like interesting kind of remixes that I didn't even know existed. There's a remix of Shake Senora with T-Pain and Sean Paul that apparently is a thing. I had no idea that was even a thing, but it is. Uh, you've got uh, you've got Pompeii in here, which is a favorite of mine. Um, moves like Jagger is in here. You know, songs that you're going to recognize. Um, if I was comparing this to the last Samba de Amigo game, I do think 
that the last game's track list had a better balance of sort of, again, that sort of Latin, Hispanic, you know, sort of flavor, the kind of music that you could imagine shaking maracas to, right? Um, <laughs> the, the kind of music you would imagine being in a game whose title is literally in Spanish. Yes. And and I think that, like, the, the game does still have, you know, there, there are a couple of standards. Like, if this game did not have La Bamba in here, you should, you know, you, you would have just returned it to the store immediately. <laughs> uh, like, if you... Just that, burn it to the ground. Just yeah, burn all of it. Like, La Bamba, Macarena's in here, you know, like, you... These are, these are songs that, like, kind of have to be in here, but a lot of it is kind of like... It, it's not all... Um, I, I guess I, I feel like that kind of flavor is a little bit missing here, even if there are a handful of, of songs. There's a Vamos a Carnaval, you know, there, there are a couple of like songs that tap into this vibe, but it does feel like it's leaning a little bit more strongly on pop hits, top 40 kind of stuff, which I get it. That's the kind of stuff you want to have on the back of the box. So I understand why they're leaning into it like that, but um, but I do think that like it, it is abandoning More Julio a, Iglesias. It, it, yeah, it, it's abandoning a little bit of the Samba de Amigo flavor, I guess. Um, which is you know it, it that and another thing, music is so subjective. There are going to be people who play this and they're going to say, "Oh, what are you talking about? I love that." You know, they've gone harder on this kind of stuff. There, there's some great stuff in here. Um, I'll also say that a big thing uh, for me, and this is this is a bit of a knock against the game, is I wish there's no way to sort through the music. You just have to, you have the list of music and you just have to kind of go. <laughs> you just kind of... Like there's no search function or... No, no. Now you can favorite tracks you can heart tracks oh, okay and and that makes it a little bit easier because you can sort like your favorites and stuff um but that's the only way to but that's yeah that's the only way to sort through them so it becomes a bit of a mess there are also leaderboards for the songs so you can compare uh, a global leaderboard or a friend's leaderboard uh to see like your your best rank at whatever difficulty uh, on certain songs, which is neat. Like that's, that's something that admittedly I, I didn't really expect that they would do, but that, that is in here and that is kind of neat. So I'll give them credit for that. Well, I imagine there's not too many, you know, kind of slower paced songs, probably not a lot of, uh, you really. know, emo rock or anything. I mean, this is a party game. These are supposed to be upbeat. These are supposed to be, you know, quick beated. I mean, they're supposed to lend themselves to the gameplay. So a lot of it is going to be very poppy and, you know, very party style music. So, right. Uh, but one of the most important things when it comes to rhythm games is essentially the size of the selection. It may have a good selection, Seth, but does it have a considerable selection? Yeah, so so the base game, I believe, has 40 tracks, um, which is fine. For, for, again, the scope that it is, if you're one of those people that needs, like, dollars to play time, like, that, that's a dollar per track, right? If you're looking at it objectively like that. Now, I mentioned earlier that there is a deluxe edition. So... I actually, uh, it was a bit strange the way they set this up because the digital version of the game allowed you to just go for the digital deluxe immediately. Um, whereas if you got the game physically, you have to get the deluxe upgrade pack, which is eleven ninety nine, uh, which adds a ton of new music and content to the game. Uh, so that that's a little bit like you can decide how you feel about that. 
if you think that's icky, that's fine. It's it's a I'll, I'll go through what what some of it is, but it does add like new music to the game as well. There are a couple of things that they have added for free um, to to the game. Like everybody that owns the game gets access to Escape from the City, for example, from Sonic Sonic Adventure. That's that's awesome. Yeah, so like everybody gets that, and you know, you you go in and it's like the whole thing, like the level is like in the background looks like the city escape. You got Sonic break dancing next to you. It's just goofy and silly. Um, <laughs> but in the in the like digital in the deluxe upgrade, um, not only do you get a ton of new costumes. So like I already mentioned, that's where I got my II stuff from the Eggman maracas. There's also a Sonic costume, a Tails costume. There's even some Space Channel Five stuff in here. Um, oh nice there's some there's some puyo like puyo puyo accessories and maracas and little hats you can wear that's all cool um icons for your your profile but there is a lot of music so you get access to uh this like sega you know music pack that's got stuff even and this was actually kind of cool there's even a song from rhythm uh rhythm thief and the emperor's treasure on the 3ds which is a favorite of mine i did not expect to see some rhythm thief love in here um that was pretty cool there you go there's um you know there's a sonic the hedgehog pack that has you know reach for the stars in it uh it's got i'm here from sonic frontiers in it it's got open your heart from sonic adventure you know there's even a like japanese music pack that has like a hatsune miku track on it you know stuff like this so there's a lot and in fact they're even supporting the game through november there's a roadmap where uh they're adding content to the game all the way through november and they've already announced that uh one of the ones that are coming out very soon is um is like a k-pop pack so i'll be i'll be interested to see uh where that goes there's like a track from uh there's a track from yakuza in here you know i'm gonna say sega has a huge list of games i mean the sonic crossover makes way too much sense because sonic has been making banger after banger when it comes to music for a very long time so it'd be really nice to see even more music you know maybe a little reach for the stars for for me over here but uh, i mean yeah you've got space channel 5 which would also be great uh it'd be crazy if they did like a crazy taxi but but yeah sega just having in-house music that they could throw in here that they probably already have some rights to I would love to see more of that. That seems like just such an easy win for this game. So I hope we get to see more of that in the future. Yeah. So, so like in the deluxe, you, you, you do get reach for the stars. You get uh, a track from space channel five, go, go cheer girl from space channel five. And again, so that that's 1199. So like all of a sudden your $40 game has become a $52 game, right? So like that that's the kind of thing that you can decide for yourself if you like or not. Now they haven't said, I imagine that when the rest of this DLC comes out, the you know, whatever the cadence of it is, they're supporting the game through November. Um, the packs individually are $4.99. So I imagine that when they drop, uh, that they will be $4.99. I don't anticipate these being free uh content updates, but I, I don't know that yet. So we'll, we'll, that remains to be seen uh, if and how much they will be charging for these when they drop. But there, there is going to be content and songs added to the game through November, at least. Yeah. Well, it does seem it, it's got at least a relatively sizable track selection. And we're already starting to see uh, some bleed over and some crossover with some other Sega franchises. So that's nice. 
Yeah. Uh, but not, not quite as expansive as something like theater rhythm, but uh, in your opinion, you were able to get, you know, a decent amount of uh, variety out of it. Yeah. I think, I think there's plenty of, there, there's going to be something that you like here, you know, like you're going to, you're going to find something that you like. Um, so, you know, we, we've got, and, and again, there's, there's more to come as well. Like you, you're, you're, there's going to be something for everybody in here. I don't think anybody's going to be disappointed. If you're an old school, um, Samba de Amigo fan, you might like me kind of find yourself wishing that there was a little more Latin inspired tunes. Um, but for the most part, I think, I think people are going to be totally, totally pleased and fine with the music. Well, I would very much like to know one more thing, Seth. Okay. How does Samba de Amigo even play? <laughs> well, so there is a demo for the game. For anybody curious, you can play the demo. Um, you So the, the best way, I guess, to describe Samba de Amigo, this is a rhythm game with maracas, right? Um, and you have essentially six notes that you can hit a low note, a like neutral note and a high note, uh, for each side for your left and right hand, you see notes, you know, kind of coming to either side of the screen and you have to shake your maraca in the direction of the note that you want to hit. So if you see a, a note flying up towards the high side of the left screen, you're going to take your left hand, raise it up in the air and shake, right? Like it's a maraca. Yeah. So the way that they're situated on the screen, it's like six dots set yep. up in a frankly hexagonal uh, uh, pattern on mm -hmm. the screen to denote that. And then you've got your two close ones at the top. You've got your neutral notes that you were talking about kind of shifted out to the side a little bit uh, to the sides of the screen. And then you've got your two bottom notes. Yep. And then, you know, the three on the left denote notes that you're going to hit with your left hand. The, the three notes on the right are notes that you're going to hit slash shake with your right hand. Yes. And the, um, that, that, that's the gist of it. Now you can play the game with button controls as well. Um, which, which is we can, neat. No, no, don't, no, no. I'm going to don't, don't do that. If you're listening, I, don't do that. It, it works don't. better than you might think. Um, the, the way that you do it is you either can use the two sticks to go, you know, like up, left, right, down, whatever for, for the two sticks to hit the directions that you want to hit. Or you can use the D-pad and face buttons. It, it works fairly well. And probably my single biggest complaint with the game actually comes from, and this is, this is a fairly major one. And again, your mileage is going to vary uh, with this, but the game is too, with motion controls anyway, the game is too forgiving with the way that you hit the notes. I notated this on the show when I played the demo. I said, there is no universe where I should be S-ranking these songs on hard on my first run through them. Just like, just sight, sight reading these, these things. There's no universe where that should happen. And turns out, that carries forward into the full game. The we game, are in that timeline. The, the, the game is... It makes concessions for motion because the game is afraid that, you know, that, that the, I guess the way that it picks up the Joy-Con's motion, it's actually fairly accurate. Like the way that it's, you know, reading the Joy-Con, the, the technology of the Joy-Con is I think better than the game is giving it credit for. Uh, but it's to the point where I kid you not, I was playing songs on hard 
and just shaking the Joy-Con in like a neutral position and it would just give me down down or up notes. Like even though I was not raising the Joy-Con up or down. You know what I mean? Like it it was just kind of giving it to me to the point where there are genuinely some songs where you could just kind of hold out your you know your your Joy-Con and just shake them and you'll just kind of you'll just kind of do it. You know, it's it's way too forgiving. Um, now, if you get to higher difficulties, of course, it will get less, you know, forgiving and stuff. But like on normal and crazy and stuff like the, the game, I do think is way too forgiving with motion controls. Now, with button controls, the game is a little more strict because it doesn't have any motion based anything to read off. It only has your button inputs to read off. So actually, <laughs> this is a big fault of the game. I have found myself preferring motion controls because the game is, or uh, sorry, button controls because the game is more challenging with button controls. So while the pleasure of Samba de Amigo is often, you know, the tactile feeling of shit. And you got the great HD rumble with the Joy-Con. You feel like the little beans shaking around, you know, like, you have all That's of that. That's literally the point of it's the, the game. It's the point. Yeah, it's the point. It should like it should feel really good and challenging and satisfying. You know, if you're the type of person who is looking for a challenge, unless you're playing on literally the highest difficulty, if you have even like any experience with rhythm games at all, Samba de Amigo Party Central is too forgiving. It is not challenging enough with motion controls. Um, and again, I, I was able to sort of pinpoint that it's a motion control problem because that problem is eliminated when you're only basing it off of button inputs. So I have found myself going to button inputs because I enjoy the challenge more. So, you know, I, that's a huge, that's my biggest complaint with the game by far. It's a major one. And it's the kind of thing that can be patched. And I hope that if anybody from Sega is listening, I hope this is the kind of thing that is patched because I'm not the only one that feels this way. Um, uh, our friend Andre from Game Explain reviewed the game on their channel as well, and he notated the same thing. So, like, Samba de Amigo fans will notice what I've just described. The game's too forgiving with motion controls. Please patch. So, so, uh, so when it comes to the difficulty selector uh, it's for any given song, that only has to do with essentially the number of notes and that speed. you have to hit for the song. Yeah, and, and, speed, and, and also. speed. Yeah, yeah. But this is something that I don't know if I've ever actually said it on the show before. But this is something I've said about rhythm games for a very long time: is the difficulty selector of rhythm games should include more forgiving or less forgiving inputs. Sure. Like that, that should just, that should have always been part of it. Like if, like Samba de Amigo is absolutely a game that should be able to be picked up by like a four-year-old or a five-year-old who's never going to be like competitive, you right. know, or who's going to be, you supposed to get like S ranking on hard, but they deserve to have some fun with the game. They deserve to, you know, play on easy and have more than three notes per song. Right. So. Yeah. That I I just I don't know why rhythm based games have never adopted that as part of the difficulty model. I understand that adding the speed of notes and adding more notes to the difficulty that makes perfect sense. But I've always said and I've always thought that 
the 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 leniency of the the inputs should be part of that difficulty slider because rhythm based games are super fun and especially young kids find them incredibly fun. So I'd like to think that my niece can pick this game up soon. Uh, and I, I just, I didn't want to have to, uh, I didn't want to have to put it on super easy where there's only like three notes in the song for her to be able to play it. I mean, as an uncle, I'm glad that it has fairly relaxing inputs, but for a massive percentage of people who play the game like yourself and other video game reviewers. Yeah. I absolutely see your point there. Yeah. If you, if you are a seasoned rhythm game player, like, Anything less than literally super hard is going to be, is going to feel like a cakewalk, frankly. Um, to the point where like, and, and this is, this is weird too, because the, the hierarchy that is listed when you choose a song, like just in the standard, you know, rhythm game mode, going in, playing a song is normal, hard, super hard and crazy. I genuinely spent most of the game before I even went into that menu I would take on crazy missions in the, um, in the Stramigo mode. And I thought crazy was like the second hardest difficulty, like the, the, the little bit of a step up from normal before you get to hard. Yeah. I lit- that's the, supposed to be the max, <laughs> the max difficulty, <laughs> you know, like that's, that's what we're talking about. But really like when you look at the readout, of the uh, of the difficulties they'll show you like a number of maracas based on how hard the the game says it is so you'll see i think there's 10 maracas and it'll kind of show you like how like basically a star system of like how difficult a song is and you'll see it go up and super hard actually is the hardest and crazy is actually a little bit below that despite the fact that crazy is listed beyond super hard so like not only is it weird and overly forgiving, it's also confusing. So that to me, I literally needs... didn't follow what you just said. Yeah. So, like <laughs> what? So like they listed as normal, hard, super hard and crazy, but crazy. But that's not the is... actual hierarchy of the difficulty, but crazy is objectively not as hard as super hard because like, for example, I can literally look at super hard and it'll have eight, nine, or ten maracas, and then crazy you'll have one or two less. But it doesn't really make sense. That um, that doesn't seem like an intentional thing. That that's gotta be like so, an actual mistake. So the 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 intentionality behind it is that crazy will introduce uh a, a little bit of a twist to the gameplay. And this is the reason I wanted to bridge this gap here. Um but it, but it should be, it, it should really be a different mode, but the, the crazy introduces, uh, this roulette wheel where at a certain point in the song, uh, a roulette wheel will come up and it will put some kind of obstacle in your way. It'll, you know, it'll make the, the notes smaller. It'll make them go like fast, slow, like where it'll be really fast and it'll slow down and it'll speed up again, like something to trip you up. And that's where the perceived difficulty is coming from. Um, there'll be one where like, It'll make you do because because another thing that you're doing in Samba de Amigo is you're posing. Not only you're shaking the maracas, but a pose will come up, and you have a few seconds to kind of match the pose, you know, and strike a pose, and then move on. So there's a there one of the things on the crazy roulette wheel is like this thing where you just have to do a bunch of you know poses in rapid succession. Um, so crazy the, the perceived added difficulty of crazy is that like roulette wheel thing, but really 
you should have your like an easy, normal, hard, super hard, and then have a toggle of if you want that to be like a crazy version or not. Does that make sense? Like if you want that roulette wheel to be in there or not. Because the way it's laid out now, that, that looks like it should be the highest difficulty. It's just unnecessarily confusing. So, very weird. Very weird. Um, that's that's my biggest, like, major complaint with the game. Um, I do, and, you know, and I, I do hope it's patched. I do hope that they, you know, that they find a way to sort of, like, you know, tighten that up quite a bit. Because I do, you know, it, it feels like the game isn't giving the Joy-Con enough credit, almost. Um... I'll also say beyond just the standard rhythm gameplay, you do have some mini games that are in here and they're fine. They're fine little distraction. Um, you have like these kind of like rhythm heaven esque things where like you can kind of, uh, kind of like to the beat, like you have a baseball bat and like they're throwing, you know, baseballs at you to the beat. You hit it. It hits like a target, you know, that's fine. There's one called love checker that you can do with, uh, with like your, your co-op partner and local co-op. You can kind of like, you're, you're trying to hit everything like in synchronicity with each other and prove like how synchronized and in love you are. The very dreamcast, you know, vibes in that way. Um, just kind of a goofy little mode. You can play online with friends. Uh, you can do two to four players, um, the annoying thing is when you, when you are playing with people, you can make like private lobbies, set passwords and all of that. You can search for rooms. You can even look for, you know, you can create like an open room and let randos join you. That's all fine. Um, but you don't even like see the other players when you play that way, which is weird. Um, especially considering the, I think, premier online element of the game, which is called world party you do see the other players like this world. This world party mode is effectively like a Samba de Amigo battle Royale, um, which is, which is really cool. It's actually a really neat mode. You go in, uh, it fills out a roster of 20 people. Um, and those 20 people compete to, you know, for the first round, you want to get into the top 14, um, for the next round, you want to get into the top eight. And then for the final round, you just want to see how you place against the, the final eight, essentially. And depending on how well you do in a song, you can trigger some of those crazy effects I talked about earlier and send them to a random other opponent to try to trip them up. It's a neat little mode. And one thing that I actually didn't know, uh, I learned about this after the fact, and I think it's actually really neat. Um, because this is Samba de Amigo. The game does not have like a massive audience. In fact, it, it had already kind of died off after one day, to be honest with you. Like it got to the point where I was having a hard time finding games, but I would always eventually find games. I would always eventually get a full lobby of 20 people. What the game does is after it struggles for long enough to not fill 20 slots, it fills it in with AI. Bots. Yeah. Yeah. Bots. Yeah. Which is neat because that means that even when, you know, nobody's playing the game, you can still play the mode, which is neat. I like You can that. still pretend you have friends online. Kind of, kind <laughs> of, it, you know, what it reminds me of is, uh, is Kirby's dream buffet. It reminds me of that. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and that's really neat. Like I, I like that because I do think it's a cool mode in many ways. It's probably my favorite mode in the game because you just see you know, 20 people and you can see all their like custom amigos that they've made. You can see like 
all of, you know, all of their icons and like you, you see them doing their thing. You only see your own, you know, buttons and everything coming up and all, all your own icons. But it is neat that you can actually like feel like you're interacting with other people in that way. It's a, it's a really fun mode. And that's the one that I could see myself kind of going back to. There's not a lot of like customization. It's just going to pick a random song. You're not really choosing the songs or anything like that. You know, but but it's it's a cool mode. It's called World Party. I, I like that mode a lot. Nice. Well, I mean, it seems like there's some stuff here to like. Uh, just hope that the gameplay gets tightened up a little bit, right? Yeah. Like, I think that, you know, Samba de Amigo is um, a... It's in a weird place because you don't really think of Samba de Amigo as being like a hardcore rhythm fan. Um, at the same time, like, I, I do think that there's a little bit of like tightening that could be done here. And if you want to keep the game as it is, like make that the easy mode or whatever, um, you also do have, I should mention some accessibility stuff. Like you can actually change up the timing of shake and button controls. You can turn on if you want those maracas to be up or not. Uh, you can even change the display timing. You can even change the speed uh, that the, that the balls, you know, the, the rhythm ball or whatever comes down. You can, you can even adjust that if you want to. Um, so they, they do have stuff in place that can negate difficulty further. If you're, you know, a casual gamer that wants to just like enjoy the game and not worry about anything, you, you can totally do that. But I think that seasoned Samba de Amigo players, seasoned rhythm gamers, uh, are going to find the game too easy unless you literally play on super hard. Um, so, you know, I, I hope that gets tightened up. There's still a lot to like here, though. And for 40 bucks, um, this is the kind of game that can kind of just live. It can kind of just be that party game that you bust out. If you're, you know, if you're hanging out, you're, you want to play something with friends, local co-op, you know, it's it's harmless. You know, like it's it's one of those things. It's kind of harmless. Nice. Well, I really appreciate you uh, taking the lead on that. Uh, still, I mean, really interesting to see Samba de Amigo coming back after so long. Uh, so I would like to see that they make those changes. But uh, uh, thank you very much for your review, my yeah. friend. Well yeah. done. And uh, if you guys uh, have picked it up or if you have any thoughts of your own on Samba de Amigo, make sure to reach out to us at all in podcast on Facebook, on Twitter. Make sure to jump into our Discord community. We would love to have you over in our amazing Discord. Let us know if you're playing Samba de Amigo over there. Are there like you can create friends lobbies, right? Yep. Yep, you certainly can. Nice. So I, maybe we'll do that eventually uh, if enough people get the game. Who knows? But. Uh, also make sure to check out our YouTube channel. We do a ton of stuff. We drop videos. Like I said, uh, we did videos this past week on Karateka on 30 XX. Mm -hmm. Uh, we also did, you know, of course we dropped our big news roundup from last night where we had way too much stuff to talk about, yeah. frankly. Uh, so make sure there's a ton of reasons to go check out the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash all the podcast, brand new content being created all the time. Uh, we even, as a matter of fact, Seth, we even create exclusive content for our patrons. That's right. We certainly do. Patreon.com slash all in podcast. Uh, you can head over there, 
three tiers of support. See which tier works best for you. You get a seven-day free trial to the Golden Banana tier. You can see what all the fuss is about over there and uh, and check us out. You can also get discounts on our merch at the Triforce tier. Bit.ly slash merch. Get yourself a, a shirt, a sticker, a mug. We really appreciate you throwing some bones our way for our hard, hard work. Uh, but if you don't have any bones to throw our way, that's okay too. You can drop us some words on your podcast service of choice. Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Audible. You can, you know, actually leave written reviews. Spotify, you can leave a five-star rating. Big thanks again to everybody who participated in the giveaway and uh, and really shot us up on, on Spotify in particular. We really appreciate you. But you listening right yes. now, if you haven't done it, you can do it. It's very quick and easy. Do it. We appreciate you very much. Thank you. <laughs> we do appreciate you very much. We appreciate everybody who has reviewed us, everybody who's dropped words, all of our amazing patrons who help us keep the light on over here. Everybody who has picked up a, one of our pieces of merch over at bit.ly slash all in merch and everybody who has just shared any of our content from YouTube or from Spotify, anything that we've done across this vast internet, you have helped us in ways you cannot imagine. So to you, we just want to say, Namaste. Namaste, dude. Another week down. Uh, man. <clears throat> the clucking's gone. The clucking's <laughs> well, gone. Well, well good. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad the clucking's gone. We, uh, but I mean, like, like going back to that, going back to, I mean, I, we do feel sometimes like a broken record when we talk about how crazy the past week has been. And honestly, like it's not clickbait. It's not us just trying to say stuff for the sake of content. It is genuinely crazy to us how much stuff happens just within the realm of every Nintendo. week's crazy each and every week. It, it genuinely blows our minds. We were wondering, it's like, oh, we're going to have enough content to do this much of a Nintendo theme pot every week. And oh my God, we wish stuff would slow down. I mean, even though we're not getting like a bunch of super high profile releases this next week, this next week is PAX and Nintendo War, uh, Live. Yeah. Well, and, and like to, to say nothing of like now that we're in September, we are on September Direct Watch. Like, make no mistake. Yeah, like, that's true. There, there is going to be a September direct almost certainly. And like, it's been so go, 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 so crazy doing this show and keeping up with Nintendo and being a Nintendo fan. I feel like the June direct just happened, you know, yeah. genuinely. And here we are uh, again, you know, it, it could well be that when we're back here next week, we're talking about a September direct. It could very well be. Very, very possibly. And even though we don't have a bunch of big releases coming next week, the week after that is like a three day in a row triple whammy for me personally. On the 12th, we have Escape Room Complete Edition. On the 13th, we have Super Bomberman 2. And on the 14th, the early version of Mortal Kombat 1 is dropping. Mm -hmm. Like, I may die at the end of that third day, you guys. Yeah, you, Eric, you completely, I mean, you, you're not, you, you know, you're not hyped about the Pokemon Scarlet and Violet DLC that's also coming out on the 13th? Come on now. <laughs> I want to be. I really do. I, I hear you. I, I really you. do. But I am actually genuinely excited for Super Bomberman 2. Uh, Super Bomberman R 
to coming out on the 13th. The first one was a launch title for the Nintendo Switch, a game that I genuinely, truly love. I've been a fan of Bomberman for a long time, so you'll probably hear me talking about that here in a couple weeks. But thank you guys for joining us for yet another episode of All In. You all are legends. You are amazing. And I mean, yeah, it's crazy. But we love it, and we love it because of each and every one of you. We cannot wait to be right back here with you all next Saturday doing this all over again. But until then, I have been Eric, the sun in your hand. And I have been 13 Sethinals, Aegis Rim. We'll see you all next week. We love you very much. Bye! Bye! Bye!